This evening we are busting out our annual uh, Oscar Spectacular. Uh, so we got the whole gang here pretty much, except obviously Steve Cuff's uh, dulcet tones are not greeting you this evening. Uh, this is Adam Myros, uh, the more sedate version of a host. Uh, I'm joined this evening by Sean Glennis. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, you're, I see you're bringing the energy level right up. Uh, I, hey, I, I, I look forward to the Oscar omnibus every year. So I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. Uh, I've been doing a lot of watching of very mediocre movies, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, this year kind of broke me, so uh, I'm glad someone is enthused by this slate of films. I, we are also joined by Jack Eason. How are you doing, Jack? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing surprisingly well. I'm not as deep in the drink as Sean is yet, but we've got a lot of ground to cover here. <laughs> a lot of ground. A lot of ground. I'm a little worried. Uh, <laughs> also joining us, we have Eric Bailey. How are you doing, Eric? I'm great, Adam. How are you? I'm getting through. I'm soldiering on. Uh, and last and least is Jake Tropima. <laughs> now, I wasn't going to say anything, but I couldn't help but notice you were naming us in order of how well we liked three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Is that, am I right on there, Adam? Uh, Jake, this was a, a totally random selection of introductions. And, and also, this is part one in which we will not be discussing three billboards. Uh, hey, Jake, oh, you got to wanna... speak up. Your clan mask is muffling your voice. <laughs> oh yeah, let me let me remove that. Uh, we're saving that. We're gonna force the listeners to tune into part two in order to hear our uh, our thoughts on uh, one of the best films in decades. Uh, Overwhelmingly positive review. Oh, <laughs> it, it's the film that's changing the face of America today. But uh, let's let's stow that. We're not discussing it now. Uh, Shall we start right at the top? I think we're I think we're going to dive into our first uh, slate of Best Picture nominees. Uh, we are going to cover five in this episode. I'm um, going to start right at the at the beginning of the alphabet here with "Call Me by Your Name," uh, a film I think all of us have seen. Uh, if not, you should have because it's 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 pretty good. Uh, I think. I'm going to start with Sean, because I know he had a particularly strong reaction to this film. Uh, what do you make of this Call Me By Your Name? Yeah, I did, I did really like it. Um, I, I didn't have as strong uh, of a reaction as other people did, but I think I had the strongest of our group, uh, if I'm reading that correctly. Um, I don't remember everybody's take, but uh, I did see it three times, so that means something. I mean, it's not like I was like, i got to go to, go back to see it, but I, I went with uh, three different sets of of people, um, and the third time was was impromptu. Uh, but uh, even though that third time was impromptu, I still very much enjoyed it and was glad I saw it. So that's kind of like a testament to uh, how good I think it is. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we're, we're gonna we're gonna 
get rid of all of the plot descriptions for this. I think that's probably necessary for this type of ground. Um, Call me by your name. I I I really liked it. Uh, it, it it's it's probably my number one pick for cinematography. Um, it, it just has this really great atmosphere. Obviously, it's like it, it it's shot in or it takes place in northern Italy, and so that sort of like lends itself to uh, being very beautiful. But even within that, it has a lot um, going for it in terms of composition. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It it, it just it. I went in actually very skeptical because this was one of the ones that maybe in a different year with a different slate of films, it would have gotten more talk, uh, more backlash about uh, possible problematic uh, aspects of it uh, to do with the, the, the age dynamic. But I went in kind of expecting to react negatively to this, this uh, built-in um, age dynamic between the, this love interest, but I, I, uh, I, I, I saw that as part of the text, and this is a story about uh, a young boy. A lot of people, I think, have also called it a love story. I don't think it's that. I, I, I think it's it's a story about a, a young man, I should say, a seventeen-year-old. It's it's a story about him falling in love with somebody, um, and I don't know. The, the more I saw it, the more that that became clear. Is like this is not. This isn't blue is the warmest color, um, or it's not, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other, like, European uh, love stories where it really is, like, sort of this, this torrid situation. It it really isn't. Uh, It's, it's Timothy Chalamet's character falling, like, completely just, like, figuring out his sexuality through falling in love with with this older man, Um, and... I don't know. I, it's not my favorite movie of the year, but uh, it probably made my top ten. I, I, I think it's really good. It's kind of like, kind of like a good Philip Kaufman movie, uh, if that makes sense. But anyway, sure. I'll sure. Let other people speak. Yeah. Uh, anyone chime in when you're ready. Uh, this, I don't know. I, there's not a ton for me on this film. I, th- I thought it was just a really nice, warm time at the theater. But I, I don't have uh, some illuminating thoughts on it. It didn't make some great impression on me. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of. But a, in this in this slate of films, it, it's kind of a standout almost. But it's. Uh, yeah, I I mean I I similarly I enjoyed it. Um, I I maybe have slightly more reservations than Sean in terms of I feel there's a little bit of a the trappings of the film are I question some of them a little bit in terms of the Italian setting. Fair enough, but I don't. There's kind of this focus on this lavish earthly paradise. It's it's I don't know it's not that it's wrong per se but it's just I feel this film would have been more interesting with more regular lived experiences depicted in it and also there's a flashback element it's set in I guess set in the eighties and the early eighties um, which is the where the book was set as well I haven't read the book but I am aware of from reading about the book the book was or is the book is set in the early eighties and then it has a, a an epilogue that comes big in fact I think it has two. Uh, epilogues faculty that that kind of move fast forward to them meeting again in later years which makes sense or kind of makes it sense makes sense of the the original event happening in the past the the film has none of that revisiting it it ends in the early 80s where it starts which makes me question yeah my cat is has some thoughts on that too (laughs) but uh, it just he, he came in i will call him by his name later but um, it, it just made me wonder, like the eighties, okay. yeah, <laughs> the eighties, the eighties setting just felt. 
I don't know, there's something a little too idyllic about the entire affair to me that just feels like it's too precious for me at times. I feel there could have been a much better film if it hadn't focused on this almost pristine scenario involving pristine people. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, I enjoyed it. I think it is a good film. It's certainly a film that's got its heart in the right place. But it just, I don't know, there's just something about its 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 various trappings that kind of distanced me from it, like, kind of put me on guard for a little while, That you know, took me a little while to get around and kind of like, okay, fair enough, it's in the 80s, there's just been this whole retro throwback thing that I feel like, Call Me By Your Name didn't start it, but it's kind of inadvertently joined in on that. Hmm. But that's really, sure. yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm one of your other criticisms, Jack, uh, that you were talking about off air uh, that I kind of uh, walked away wondering about the first time as well, which was that um, that maybe some of the stuff was a little too overstated uh, in terms of theme um, that characters were sort of telegraphing things about the relationship. Uh, I think we talked about this in terms yeah. of Michael Stuhl, Michael Stuhlbarg's um, speech at the end. And um, I, I. I I brought that up because of the Sufjan music, which we'll get That's, to later. Yes. But spoiler alert: it's absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I agree I, with I, that. As one of the only people here who actually will somewhat stand up for Sufjan Stevens' music, oh, right, otherwise, right, right. but yeah, it shouldn't be here. It's a bad addition. Yeah, I need I I I will pay somebody a small fee, but a fee to give me a version of this with. Just his lyrics, like the music can stay, I don't care, but just with his lyrics out, because uh, it'll make the movie uh, exponentially better for yeah, you. Yeah, so like the um, lyrics to the but, song are practically like, I'm a boy becoming a man, falling in love in Italy. It's like, yes, we've been watching the movie. <laughs> this is the last time I saw you, yeah. Uh, but I, I will say, the more I saw it, um, the more I kind of realized um, that the stuff with the parents sort of telegraphing things is kind of built into the story like that is part of the story is the parents purposely trying to guide their child like they they read this book and in i think in other movies um where somebody's reading uh a book to a character and and it it kind of spells out this subtext it's kind of like grown but in this it it, it becomes clear is like these parents are are actively trying to guide their son down down a path that they believe is is correct and michael stubark's speech at the end, which we won't get to later because he wasn't nominated, which is really unfortunate, um, is quite magical. And um, it, that is him sort of like, I guess you could say it's spelling out the themes, but but that is kind of the point to me. And that's kind of what's touching to me is like he's he's kind of like confronting these things with his son. Um, yeah, I feel like that's... So we don't really need that. Yeah, I, again, I'm not a fan of that speech. I did, to me, it did feel like too much. It's just, you know, hitting the accelerator when they should have just let it roll on ahead. Uh, I feel like a lot of that was covered in the last scene with the where the parents are on the line and they, they have a final conversation on the phone and the parents are... It's kind of the parents know all along. It's revealed that they know. And I, I feel like that was enough to understand that the parents had a you know, had a positive stake in it and were, you know, playing an active role in it. But we still get that But speech. don't you think that... Don't you think it's... Like, does it mean anything to you to learn more about Stuhlbarg's repression? Like, his own individual repression that he reveals? Um, again, it's, it's such an, ideal, an idealized worldview... That the concept of the father mm-hmm. is passing on this gift of not having his son of not having to hide. 
it just it it feels a little like I say it just feels a little precious, a little difficult for me to buy into um, as a structural conceit. It's not so much that it's just wrong; it's just that it it doesn't it doesn't, doesn't really yeah it you. doesn't hit home for me properly. I just feel the film could have could have survived with a little less of that. I think it could have come out not exactly the same, but honestly, is a stronger on the core tenets of the film for me. Yeah, I I almost I almost go word for word with Jack here. Like I I thought Stuhlbarg's speech was it, it it didn't feel genuine at all to me. It felt like a, a very prepared and written and and obviously it's a it's a film about intellectuals and it is kind of idyllically embracing this this situation, which is I'm I'm sure a reality for some people, but it, it doesn't feel particularly relatable to me. I mean, there I, I don't see that around me in this world. Uh, and thereby, I, it is a little distancing to, to deal with these people who are, you know, they haven't mm-hmm. figured out, and, and they're not really confronted with obstacles so much as internal obstacles, I suppose. But uh, it's it, it has these great scenes in it, though. There's moments where this film threatened to be one of my absolute favorites of the year, but then it, there was just something that that kept it kind of yeah. a, a few feet away from me. Well, before, like, I I, I want to hear Eric and, and Jake's take, uh, but I'll say one more thing that's sort of tangential to what we were talking about in the movie that I really appreciate was um, the the character uh, Marsha, played by Esther Garell. I don't know how you pronounce, but you know, uh, famous Garell family in f- French film, um, the mm. girlfriend. Um, I I really came to love that the treatment of that character, and I think Lady Bird does something similar, um, where <clears throat> it it treats her as like a full human, and not just like this thing that he he bypasses or or goes through and then kind of like throws to the side, and 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 it's just an obstacle for the plot. It, it really kind of brings her back at the end in a way that's really touching, and um, I don't know, it's it's nice, and it's something that. That we're not, that I'm not used to seeing in even some of these these very um, sort of emotional dramas. Hmm. Yeah. See again, her her presence in the in the third act to me was more of that where it was just like, okay, uh, everyone is is perfectly accepting of this situation, and and no matter how mm-hmm. poorly you treated them, they're just like, well, I still love you. Everything's great. Sure. Uh, which again, it. it I'm sure it's reality for some people, but it, it just feels like artifice. Uh, I know that Eric has some thoughts on this film. Let's kick it over to him. Um, yeah, I I also enjoyed this film. Um, not as much as perhaps Sean did. I also kind of went in expecting to be uh, underwhelmed, I guess you'd say, because I've learned in the past few years that the, the, this film premiered at Sundance, and I've learned to not put any stock whatsoever in Sundance hype. Um, there, there's very few films that get the sort of wildly positive response that this film got at Sundance that, for me at least, end up living up to that. And A ghost story. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said very few. <laughs> That's an in-joke because most of us hated that movie, just in case that wasn't clear. And I loved it. And so, yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I um, like Sean, I, I could just sit and, and just turn off the dialogue and just watch this film, like, 
like just have it on in the background because I think visually it's just probably it's probably the most visually impressive film of I think almost any film nominated this year. Um, mm-hmm. um, I didn't mind Sufjan's music. Uh, <laughs> Why? Please impart on me. I can't understand. I went to see it with people, uh, like some people who also, like the first time I went to see it, I went with a group, and I I, I felt like the sore thumb. Uh, oh, I... But everyone else, I went with Myros and I went with Sophie, and uh, we all were kind of like, what the <laughs> Like, Sophie laughed when it came on and kind of like looked around the theater. It's just like, what? Yeah, that first uh, scene is, like, fucking jarring. He's just all of a sudden, yeah. out of nowhere, singing about fucking, like, knitting a sweater or something. I was like, what the, <laughs> what the hell is this? Um, so, contrast well, this, I, please. That's right. not to say that I didn't like it, necessarily. I just didn't mind it. It was just sort of... It was it was sort of part of the film's DNA at that point, I guess, so I just sort of accepted it. I didn't... I'm not over the moon about it, but I also didn't have this kind of strongly negative reaction that you had to it, Sean and Adam. Um, but I guess, and, and I agree that it's also heavy handed. And I also agree that Stuhlberg's speech is heavy handed and very, and very kind of didactic and spells everything out. But at the same time, like I still kind of loved it. Like I said, st- like that was probably what really um, tied the movie together for me, um, which I'm sure was the intention of that speech begin with but um yeah like i it's it's one of those things where like where i i sort of think it's like sure it's not subtle but it's one of the handful of times where i where i think but you know subtlety's overrated of course it's not but like um i like I, where i don't mind the filmmakers just not being subtle and, and just spelling everything out if it if it leads to a, a moment that at least for me, I found quite moving and quite. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like the, the the thing that really so the third time it kind of really got me. I, I, I appreciated it the first two times, but the third time I saw it, like one particular line really kind of hit me in a way that it hadn't before, in a way that I kind of expected it to before. That I could only say I appreciated it previously, where he talks about <clears throat> how you're gonna like. He's like, if you. He doesn't really say it this way, but like you know, like uh, if you didn't have this experience, you know, there comes a time where it, you miss your window and nobody wants yeah. to touch you, let alone you know, like like th- nobody wants to think about you, let alone you know actually physically touch you. And that's not something that I guess I, as a viewer, really thought about. Like I wasn't thinking about this character's future and what would happen to previous generations because they didn't have this opportunity under this this tutelage or parental figures um so that, that i don't know that hit me yeah there's there's a lot of kind of interesting ideas that you don't often see in mainstream films sort of playing out in that speech which is sort of the, one of the reasons why i enjoy it so much like and there's this i think sort of the the at least for me the core idea of that speech that really kind of hit home for me and what and what i connected with was this idea of like sort of not like of stuhlberg's character sort of telling his son Elio like don't sort of close yourself off don't like shut yourself down just to avoid a little bit of pain in this in this scenario which I think is like I don't know I, I that was just a sentiment that I found very touching frankly and 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 sort of a an idea that you don't see expressed that often in film like like a film telling a young man 
like most of the time in in movies you see fathers imparting lessons about like you need to be strong you need to be you know manly and masculine and everything and like and this is a case where it's like a father's telling his son it's like no be sensitive be open like be like allow yourself to be weak and be feel hurt for you know a, a, the, however long this lasts um which is you know you don't see that very often and so i that's that's part of the reason i think for me why i connect with it mm-hmm. so much uh, well, I probably have the most mixed feelings about the movie. Um, pa- <laughs> part of that, well, part of that was my uh, my my trepidation going into it um, because I am not a fan of the director's previous work. That's uh, a good point, Luca, Luca Guadagnino or whatever. Um, I hated a uh, a bigger splash, and I didn't want to see another movie. Uh, which a bigger splash was also pretty critically acclaimed, and I didn't want to see another. Uh, white rich white people on vacation having problems movie. Um, so then in many, do not in, check out I Am Love. His I first will not. Fi- I think he's <laughs> like his earlier film. That's the only one I've seen. And yeah, it's like there's it's it's like it's they remove the blood from uh, the veins of rich people and then put them in front of a camera. Yeah, it's it's apparently part of this like thematic uh, lust trilogy that he has uh, all three films. But uh, anyway, so in in many aspects, I was presently surprised with "Call Me by Your Name" that I I liked a lot of it more than I was expecting to. Uh, and of course, a lot of a lot of what I really liked about it might just be very superficial things like uh, all of them dancing around to the psychedelic furs. Um, mm-hmm. And and I I do agree, Sean. The cinematography is actually stupendous. I think I think the best scene in the movie where everything sort of comes together perfectly for me is where uh, Chalamet starts to confess his feelings to uh, Army yeah. Hammer while they're walking around the the World War II statue, and just mm-hmm. just that one long take with the 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 beautiful piano score. I'm surprised the score didn't get a nomination. Um, in fact, now that I think about it, there's actually several things I liked in here that didn't get a nomination and. As uh, good as Chalamet is, I think Army Hammer gives the more impressive performance, and he was uh, uh, outright shunned by the Oscars. Um, I still feel he was too yeah. old for this movie. If I'm being that's, nitpicky, I really that, think he's too old for the film. I, no, I I agree. That's that's part of systematic. My that, that that that's systemic of Hollywood, though. But it's like he's he's a 31, 32 year old actor, and he's cast to play a twenty four year old. But he looks like he's in his forties. Oh, Army Hammer. Sorry, I thought yeah. you were talking about Chalamet. Oh no, no, Chalamet. I think is kind of aptly cast because he has like a really uh, frail body of a, like yeah, a teenager. I agree about. But, but I, Hammer I, I just looks Hammer. too old. Um, uh, yeah, but. Uh, I mean, those. That's really all. I I don't really take much away from the movie. I was. I mean, the best I can say is that it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. And I I thought this would be another one where critics, or I would seriously be out of step with critics. But uh, I didn't end up hating it. So um, and there's people who've been effusive about it. So uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I think it's worth a worth a watch for sure. It is true between myself and Jake that if you've watched uh, the director's earlier films and didn't like them, that this is definitely a movie you might just give a shot at. Uh, it's very different to his previous films, I think. Yeah, feels like there's more. There's more inner life here. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it doesn't entri- entirely drive with Jake's uh, McDonough esque worldview. That's why he didn't. Uh, <laughs> he didn't fall in love with it. But uh... we needed more racial bon mots. But anyways. <laughs> Yeah, I thought a bigger splash was garbage too. So I, yeah. I, I'm on that board. Yeah, I I am also on the board because I saw I am love and it's it's not good. Uh, <laughs> I am bad. Tilda Swinton <laughs> axed the shit out of that movie though. 
she's acting so hard throughout the whole thing, it's almost painful to watch. That is the story <laughs> of Tilda Swinton. Um, so that is the story of Tilda. No, sorry, go ahead. We have we have discussed "Call Me by Your Name" without even mentioning the peach, and let's <laughs> leave it at that. Uh, James and the Jackoff Peach. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, that's a fresh. That's a freshie to us. Even that wasn't like uh, rehearsed in Slack or anything. <laughs> uh, don't show the audience how the sausage is made. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't show how the peach got on the nightside table or bedside table. Yeah, keep going. Let's keep going. We're moving on to uh, a film that seems tailor made for this exact exercise. Uh, we are. We're talking about. Joe Wright's Darkest Hour. Uh, I believe I am one of two people who have Hannah, seen this. Wasn't that his Darkest Hour? <sighs> no, I'd say Anna Karenina is his. What about Peter Pan? Or whatever oh, the hell it is. Oh, shit. Right, I forgot about oh, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyhow, I'm going to kick it to Eric Bailey because I think we're the only two who've seen this. Yeah. And uh, I'll let him set it up. Yeah, um, Darkest Hour... Um, I found this personally. I found this film a little disappointing. It's a Winston Churchill biopic um, from, as Adam said, Joe Wright, who's famous for films for working on period pieces with Keira Knightley uh, for films like Pride and Prejudice and Atonement and Anna Karenina. And um, I was I was disappointed by it, not because it's a particularly bad or lackluster film, but just because it's very. It's very middle of the road. It's it's really just kind of okay. It's it's your run of the mill Oscar movie where you know Gary Oldman's in heavy makeup and he's just you know chewing the scenery and shouting and giving big important speeches and all that. And it's it's pretty much his movie. Um, and personally, I really like Joe Wright as a director. I I really enjoyed Anna Karenina and Pride and Prejudice. I love Atonement. I think that's that's. One of the most twenty-first century's most underrated films, um, and and good. I like this, and this film just kind of felt very blah. Like I enjoyed it in the moment, but it literally just disappeared from my head the moment I left the theater, and I was that 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 sort of that stung a little because I was. Does it feel like a Joe Wright movie? Um, yeah, yeah, it does have a certain kind of. Um, classicism to it that's uh that's very much in his wheelhouse lots of you know um lots of long takes and kind of uh very uh folk like really kind of flowing uh camera work and lots of city cam stuff and excellent excellently composed like the cinematography by Bruno Delano is um interesting if a little flat i think um but yeah yeah, it's it's definitely got a lot of editing tricks going on as well, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, it's Joe Wright showing off at times in the same way that that Oldman is. Uh, yeah, but I mean, obviously, we'll discuss best actor at some point, but I I think it's kind of super, superfluous to to not discuss uh, Oldman now because this movie is nothing but Oldman. Yeah, and he is he's doing something. He's, uh, <laughs> he's gunning for the Oscar. That's kind of all he's doing right in this movie. Yeah, it, it feels as desperate as uh, DiCaprio at his worst when, uh, say, The Revenant, where it was just yeah. like, okay, please, 
Please give me an yeah. Oscar. And uh... it's as, as far as like it's definitely a very like Oscar Beatty performance. But as far as those go, this is one of the better that I've seen. But it's still it's like it's not a particularly it's it's one of Oldman's least interesting performances. Uh yeah, I I didn't think it was especially strong. I mean, I'm not familiar with the actuality of Winston Churchill. He's he's mostly like a quote book and a bunch of stayed British performances over the years. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, one of, yeah, that's one of the reasons I kind of like I have no interest in seeing this movie. Um, is because I f- and it seems the 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 critics the 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 essays and stuff that are coming out are pretty much backing up what I figured was going to happen. Is that if you don't know anything about Vincent Churchill, this film won't tell you anything additional about it. He is just an inspirational figure, yeah, uh, kind of you know a conflicted man. You know, he he was a bit difficult to deal with, but he had a belief and a vision, etc. There's no mention of the fact that like Winston Churchill was like a really a horrible person uh, all in, all involved I mean in many many regards as a man who presided over genocide in, in India and so on None of, you know and like fine okay we don't have to deal with that directly in every film about Winston Churchill but it's a film that I, I figured it was never really going to challenge or illuminate Churchill in any kind of a critical no. way it was just going to be a movie about Churchill as the man the history books wrote about it's, it's, it's exactly that it's your very kind of <laughs> It's 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 your pretty much standard great man biopic yep. type of film. It I I will say it doesn't deify him. I mean it no, 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 as, no, no, as no. a somewhat flawed individual. But yes, which, but but it's it's basically they'll mention things like Gallipoli like offhand and just be like, well, that was a mistake you made in the past, and it's like, okay, well, oh, he had uh, many mistakes ahead of him still. <laughs> sure, sure. And- which. Yeah, I mean, it deals... It's another Dunkirk movie. It, yeah. It, they're sure. both, both of these films are Dunkirk movies, and that's yeah. all this this movie really centers around, is I, is that decision. And uh, as far as... Uh, if I had to pick a Dunkirk movie, I'd, I'd probably take this, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> interesting. Um, but, yeah, I like, don't know. I, I, I find it interesting that um, there's this interesting trend in these sort of awardsy movies that where in where we do a biopic but instead of um like doing this whole like big like sweeping mo- like three hour epic about this person's entire life we focus in on like one or two incidences and i so i get that approach i get the desire to do that because i think that that big sweeping cradle to grave approach really sort of burnt itself out in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and um and i think there are a couple movies that did this kind of like more focused approach really well but i I, like honestly i think darkest hour would have really benefited from sort of expanding its scope a little more and and you know zooming out and taking a bit more of churchill's life in rather than just this like essentially one month period of like when he first started as prime minister are you saying there should have been another piece of the film that was actually like three months period intercut with it and maybe another three year period intercut with that with intertitles telling us of the time frame uh, yeah that that's just what that's just what every film needs i <laughs> i i don't know this movie is is a strange one it yeah. took me a bit to get on board with it all because i i was like what the fuck is oldman doing and <laughs> The performance is is huge, and that's not a good thing I, in this case. I I don't think uh, it felt like 
as much as this film looked like a Joe Wright film and was beautiful, I still kind of question his direction in just giving Oldman all the rope in the world. Oh, yeah. uh, his his Churchill Hughes, uh, th- this kept coming to me throughout the film, is that his, his Churchill was hewing dangerously close to Krang. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shit, that's the first thing I've heard that makes me want to see this. <laughs> yeah, uh, his voice was just going in that direction where it's just like, Hitler! And I'm like, what the fucking hell is this? And, just give me a robotic do, exoskeleton, please. I agree. He, he even kind of resembles Krang's robot body with his smooth baby texture. <laughs> I agree. His voice, like, I listened to audio recordings of Churchill's actual voice I'm just like that doesn't sound anything like him Gary like what are you doing he's winning an Oscar uh, that's yeah. what he's doing is this the um, so last year <clears throat> during the Oscar omnibus, omnibus Steve Cuff R.I.P he uh, <laughs> he said that he said that there's always a patented dad pick in the best picture is this the definitive dad pick or is there another one I that think we'll there's get another to? one no. that we'll get to yeah, I think yeah. we're uh, we're gonna get to it right the hell now. Let's transition into uh, Dad's best movie, uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Uh, anyone have anything to say about this? Because I sure as shit don't. <laughs> uh, what what I will say about Dunkirk is it, it's an it's an interesting premise because for years I've been making fun of Christopher Nolan for literally like just spending four hours explaining his movies in his movies just so you can sit down and watch his movie um, and Dunkirk seemed finally to be the solution to that a huh. film that doesn't yeah. explain itself other than the aforementioned uh, intertitle is telling you the time periods that each section occupies because there's three time frames intercut within the film of whatever one hour and three days and three months or whatever um, which I don't think is a particularly interesting conceit. Honestly, I've seen some people argue that it is. I disagree with them. I don't think it's particularly useful. This film, though, does finally uh, kind of move Christopher Nolan away from his intricate toy bo- box approach to filmmaking that he normally does, where everything is sculpted perfectly and is very advanced, uh, air quotes, uh, fully implied. Um so, you know, it, it feels like it's a step in the right direction, but the end film to me is still, it's depoliticized, it's still war as experiential cinema, which I think is very problematic. It doesn't go anywhere with that. It's just, it's, and I mean, I saw it on a, you know, on the big screen, it's so big and imposing, and everyone's like, you have to see it on a big screen, and honestly, I just, I don't, it didn't leave, like, it's very loud, I mean, that's a thing. But honestly, there was nothing about it that made me, that moved me or made me perk up or want to dig or explore. I still, like, I, and I think we've discussed this in an earlier podcast, uh, like, still to me, Killian Murphy's character is the most interesting character on the boat, on, in the film, and he's on a boat. And uh, literally, <laughs> he, he uh, the last part of the film is him getting off the boat, having killed someone while he was shell-shocked and traumatized. And he walks away, merges into the crowd of soldiers, having done something horrific, and he realizes he's done something horrific, but he's also not really to be blamed. He's in this horrible space. And I feel like that's when an interesting film was about to start. And then that's the end of the movie. <laughs> and that's that to me is Dunkirk. It's just, it's, you know, a very classical war film with a couple of elements kind of tagged onto it to make it interesting. 
and it's just I I don't really I don't feel and maybe it's just like aesthetically like it's a great war movie I suppose as if if you under, if you if you believe that war movies are like a good idea in their classical format then this is a very good example of that and not as gory. Depoliticize is, is, is like the perfect way to yeah, that. Yeah. that that kind of like encapsulates the entire movie. And that's it and it's it's kind of like it's it's like even Jesus, like last year, I mean, Hacksaw Ridge, the most barbarously <laughs> idiotic film I've ever seen. But at least, but at least it did. Like it, it had like Mel Gibson put his foot to the floor and made the most imbecilic film I have seen in possible but, years. Well, isn't that weird though? That like somebody could like I, I guess I think about this in other uh, in other films and other genres when they make a movie about something that sort of like has this implosive. Uh, center to it, but I guess war films, are, you know, they're their own genre, and we're kind of used to it at this time. But it it doesn't excuse like Nolan nor other people. He, he's not a singular force in this. But like, isn't it weird to be able to make a movie about so much trauma and like not really care yeah. about it, or just to make it be like this very immediate thing about these people? Yeah, like. Like like surviving in the water, and then that's it. Yeah, no, there's something deeply troubling to me about the concept of cinema doing a you know representing war and expe- the experience of war. I think it's something deeply troubling, and honestly, it's something actually deeply political in a film that we've joked is depoliticized. There's there's a very political vein in this as a an advertisement for bravery and overcoming odds and heroism, and it, you know it's like. Uh, it just—it's frustrating. These films don't work for me like that. Unless say they have some kind of a, a perspective, I don't find a perspective yeah. here. I don't know what Nolan's perspective is, and that's you know other than it being just big. It, it, it's such a big film. It's a mm-hmm. difficult film to make, and that's—I mean—I feel like that's where Nolan's been going. Is like this is a very difficult film to make, but I made it, and it's like that's good. But you know, someone else made a movie that's not difficult to make on paper, and it's actually a good movie about people. And it's like that's much more useful to me at this juncture. So yeah, it just I don't like I didn't think that Dunkirk was a terrible movie, but it's honestly it's a movie that I have no interest in ever seeing again. It's actually it's just back in town again for the Oscars. It's playing uh, ten minutes from my house again in like seventy mil, and they're like you know back again in seventy mil. I'm like I don't care. I will not show up to it again. I just couldn't give a shit. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jack touched on something too. That just like this whole movie feels kind of like you know this is maybe going to sound a little petty or whatever, but like it, it all feels kind of like a big act of hubris on Nolan's part. Like, it, like he, like at this point, he's probably one of the, if not the most commercially successful working director right now of like the modern era and it's just like he's like he's basically a household name he's one of the biggest directors in the world and it's just sort of he can do whatever he wants and he kind of knows that like and he and he like you know we were talking about how this film is is is, um depoliticized and it's just like you know war is inherently political and you know you can't remove that political context from from war from combat and it's just like but because Nolan's got it in his got it in his head that he's this like great big awesome filmmaker and he's he's a he's this big deal like it feels like he thinks he can depoliticize it he can decontextualize all this stuff 
just by sheer force of will, just because like I'm a I'm a fucking god of cinema or something. I don't know if this is actually like what's going through Nolan's head, but that that's what it feels like to me. It feels like it feels like this this like sort of act of like almost like megalomaniacal filmmaking of just like like I'm gonna. It is. He nearly he nearly buries a seventy mil camera at sea. At exactly. One point. Like, like... Most directors can't get away with that. They cost a lot of money. <laughs> and yeah, and so it's just it's all just like. What I what I took away from this movie not was like oh war is hell or you know like I like or like walking away like I felt like I got some small you know uh, a simulation of war or whatever. What I got from it was you know like Nolan just screaming at me for an hour and forty minutes like look what I can do look like I have like look what I can do with the cinema. Like and so that's I don't know that that's I, I again I agree with Jack yeah, I, I didn't hate the film there were parts of it that I liked even I enjoyed the score um and I and even though his face is the score is even great. even though I even though his face was covered for most of the movie I actually somehow liked Tom Hardy in it um but like other than that I yeah I this is another movie that just I kind of shrug at essentially. Yeah, the score was really good. I, I still contend that I think that the score, which Zimmer was nominated for, so we might discuss it later, but like I do feel that the score is... It, it's it's better without the film, which is a weird setup. <laughs> I agree. But there we are. I don't I don't remember Dude. the score at all, but I will say I think... Dun- it sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember a <laughs> clock... <laughs> That's about right. No, I think uh, Dunkirk may have, uh, for me, done the impossible and uh, resensitized me to violence. So uh, I, I, I think that's something that we should applaud yes. Nolan for doing after all these years of watching. Uh, no, uh, I, I think I think Nolan's biggest enemy is himself. He keeps he has a fine idea, and I think like everyone was sort of getting hyped about. Oh, there's this hundred minute war movie directed by Christopher Nolan, and there's like all the dialogue seems to be incidental in it and i was pretty pretty looking forward to this movie and um because like his last two films interstellar and the dark knight rises they're just so bad and long and boring (laughs) and and i like uh something that like this pared down sounds like it would be much more my wheelhouse but again jack touched on it but nolan gets into this conceit that you know you have earth sea and land but they're all each on different temporal planes and i I think that that's completely unnecessary because it's like you're throwing a puzzle to the audience to see where they can piece together what happens when. And I, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think the film would work better if they were all just sort of running concurrently together. Um, and I will say that uh, I think the Tom Hardy, the air segments, the film would actually work much better as its own standalone short film of a pilot who's running out yeah, of fuel. I, I agree think entirely. I think that would be the... That would be something much better to see. Um, but uh, so, if anyone wants to edit me the Tom Hardy cut of Dunkirk, I will <laughs> pay you five dollars. That Tom Hardy's a compelling actor. If they just let him, you know, not have a mask over his mouth the entire that, movie, yeah, and everyone yeah, hates his mouth. When he, gets, when he gets lines like ah, uh. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite Tom Hardy quotes. I don't know what that, you're talking I think that's, about. Yeah, that speaks to Tom Hardy's presence as a compelling actor that like we still I think we all still liked him even though again his face is covered for like 90% of his screen time <laughs> like but we like you still find him oddly compelling 
Yeah, this is like his third major role where he's just like mumbling uh, throughout the entire thing, and, and I still this is a real mumble core. I still do kind of like him, but uh, that's yeah, if we get Tom Hardy in an Andrew Bajalski film, like that would be mumble core. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> what's weird is that what's weird is that like he, he's he's like his lips are like renowned as like beautiful lips. Yeah, he's got these very soft. Howdy lips. Okay, this Supply. podcast yeah. is taking a turn. That <laughs> anyway, I'm, okay. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. all call me by your name, guys. A turn that some of our <laughs> subscribers might really this enjoy. Like, oh, they just perked not casting judgment. <laughs> so, uh, this movie, uh, if he was seeking to depoliticize everything, I think, and, and for other reasons as well, I think we could have... Uh, <laughs> we oh could have done without... Depoliticize Tom Hardy's lips. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to segue. <laughs> I'm not segueing. I am talking oh. about Mark Rylance and the fact that he sucks and the movie would be better without that character. Does well, get ready for a Ready Player One com- uh, uh, performance that's going to blow your socks off. I've uh, hit an Easter the, egg. If you find it, you'll get half a trillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you'll get... Looks at notes. Half a trillion dollars? <laughs> yeah. I, wait, do we all hate Mike? Mike, I'm last last year's Oscar thing. I mean, Rylance was the only memorable thing in Bridge of Spies, other than Spielberg's notable mistakes as an artist. So no, Rylance, I, I didn't know who he was. Rylance was good in Bridge of Spies, and Bridge of Spies is an awful, boring movie. But <laughs> Rylance, and now Mark Rylance is in everything. I thought he was fine uh, in Dunkirk, but like again, he's just a dude. Like he's a sweater. He's a cardigan more than anything else. <laughs> like everyone else, it's pretty much like well, here's a British uniform, here's a German uniform. You can't tell the difference, but Christopher Nolan did a lot of research, and that's what's important. And here's Mark Rylance as a cardigan. He's Mister Rogers on a boat. <laughs> I, I did not like Rylance in this just because his it's function a was just like day this. In the neighborhood. It, it was, it was just this boring, if, if, like a, you know. Oh, look at the everyday heroes. The, the oh Britain. yeah, there's that for sure. <laughs> Jesus, it's a whole movie. Can we get? Can we get away from this deep a little? Deep a little. <laughs> God damn. Can we move on? Deep a politicization. Sean has been drinking. Finally, puts the politics. Something a film that finally puts the politics back into uh, American cinema. Oh yeah, we're uh, going to talk about do the right thing for the rest of this, as <laughs> skipped no, over by the Oscars and oh film crit film. Oh, cri- you mean Black Panther? Hulk just popped on. <laughs> so we're transitioning into another film that that starred a supporting a bald supporting actor who I couldn't stand. Uh, the Shape of Water, which oh. is perhaps the presumptive. Favorite at this point to win it's Best Picture? Seems uh, to be, yeah, between that and yeah. three billboards. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's going to get some other stuff. I think uh, I can safely say this is the film that we all uniformly hate the most is The Shape of Water. Is that oh, yeah. correct? It, it, I mean, I, the, I can say yeah. I've watched The Shape of Water, but honestly, I couldn't watch it. Like, I couldn't look at the screen. <laughs> uh, like, this. Why is that? Within. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. Some about my jealousy for Fishman's butt. Uh, no, this was just a movie within five minutes I had checked out like I was whatever Del Toro was selling I was not in the market for and then as it just progressed <laughs> it was just oh it's a dr- and I say this as someone who genuinely enjoys a lot of Del Toro films Del Toro for me is generally a recipe for like a safe investment at the cinema 
why not you know yeah. uh, like uh, I enjoy his movies they're problematic sometimes I don't think Pan's Labyrinth is a masterpiece by any stretch but it's good Kronos is good uh, Crimson Peak I actually quite liked why wouldn't I like a Del Toro movie this is awful I hated every second of this as I say I could li- barely look at the screen I was so bored and just turned off by this whole incredibly self-conscious uh, invocation of earlier film and his film as magic and outsiders in again incredibly heavily highlighted air quotes is like you know we, we gotta keep together that scene in the diner where the he turns away yeah. the two black oh, people God. and then he's gay and he's it's like embarrassing oh I love my I love this pie place but you don't treat black people well because it's the 60s so I'm going to leave because I'm gay and I'm also not treated well as if he's saying like having this conversation with himself like he didn't realise he's lived a, a life of, of social <laughs> malignment he's, he's like, like <laughs> wait a second there's something fishy yeah, he's like, I've, been, I've been gay my whole life and honestly I'm scared to tell people that and that's the whole and the movie and the, they watch old movies together all Though they're not that old when it's based in the 60s, not that matters. Uh, and then she fucks a fish, man. Which there's no, there's no context. There's no like he eats a cat. He's a fucking monster. He's an animal. This isn't like a normal thing. This is not a good relationship. This isn't like we're gonna settle down and have little fish fingers. This is fucking crazy all throughout. And Del Toro doesn't check off any of the boxes to make it okay or to make it check normal. off boxes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. That's a good literary device. I have a question. What is the most like? What is the more embarrassing scene, which oh, will then go on, which which will then go on to compete for most embarrassing scene of 2017 movie? Um, the 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 soda jerk uh, turning down black folk sign. Uh, That's true. Scene, the Kevin which, Costner presumably- hitting a, a signpost of last yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, presumably, uh, th- why doesn't he have a sign out front? I'm not sure. Uh, it, like, but um, what uh, that's that's socially acceptable at this time. Um, or the point where the, you know, a uh, fish man uh, eats the cat's head off, and Just then Richard so... Jenkins. I swear, I haven't seen this in a while, but I swear, maybe I revisioned this in my mind. He turns to the camera and he goes, "You know, I'm not going to be upset with him because he's a beast." Yeah, he's a beast that Sally Hawkins has that, the hots for. I agree. I was on, I was on shaky ground throughout, and then once the cat said got eaten, I that was the point of no return for me. I despise just, this movie. It's just so tonally <laughs> off. Like it's just so like I was like re, like I was sitting there in the theater and I thought I was watching m- one movie, and then like all of a sudden that comes in, and I'm like, what the f- like what? <laughs> it, well, like, it, I, it was, he's it was like, bad. I love cats, but that one that's okay because yeah. you know why. I sat down to watch this, and and it was just a few days after uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet had uh, accused Del Toro of (laughs) ripping off his shtick, uh, to put it bluntly. And literally within five minutes, we're like, really? This only happened now? Did Jeunet just not see the film until now? Because, like, the the score, and is the score Oscar not... Desplechin got oh, yeah, yeah. He got nominated, for, the, he got nominated for basically ripping off Amelie's score, yeah. like, shamelessly. It's, Which it's, is weird because Junet was like, he ripped off, he 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 ripped off my movie, and people were like, which one? He's like, Delicatessen. What? It's Amelie. It's Amelie with fish sex. I halfway agree with you, Junet. Just the wrong movie. Maybe he forgot he made Amelie. I don't know. Maybe he's had a rough week. 
Yeah, I mean that's those. That was my exact words. It's like imagine Amelie, but it's uh, more R-rated, and she fucks a fish man. It's, yeah, no, it feels it well, feels like we a, haven't even talked about Michael Shannon. Oh, exactly. Who gives a that, shit about Michael Shannon? Who gives a shit about any of this dumb movie? Like, literally, this, this movie starts off. It's like I feel like this movie came about like in test screenings, and they just look, they showed it to test audiences, and Del Toro was in the room, and he's just like turned to them and just said, "Would you say it is whimsical?" And like until enough people shook their head or nodded in agreement he's like good send it to the lab and that's the film I think they got the grand jury from Strong Island to, <laughs> to do those <laughs> test screenings didn't this win like the golden lion at yeah. Venice it was in yeah the top what the prize. fuck this, this won a higher prize at Venice than like Hanabi did years and years back like that came second this movie won at Venice oh, yeah. which apparently used it's to mean personal something personal for Jack yeah, yeah I really like that movie even if it's not as good as I once thought it was but it's still better than fucking the shape of fish sticks I'm gonna use the fish sticks thing a lot that's just I don't know I can't think of a better fish I, I, joke to, 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 to get uh, a bit sober uh, here for a second there's no uh, going back I do now. have a well, yeah, but um, I, I do um, like. I mean, this considered like what I'm going to to posit uh, something that I wrote about about the movie that that just ended up it, it just bugged me because um, I walked out of this movie and I was like, whatever, you know, he's doing something sweet and fine, like you know, it's hard to be like mad at at ballistic gel torso for I, for like doing I didn't this. Find it hard to be um, mad at him at all. <laughs> Right, it's just like you know. Well, you just I, I was just like Guillermo del Toro, ballistic gel torso. Have you not seen that meme, Jake? It's on the internet <laughs> where we live. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it, it was just kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, this was coming. You know, like a couple weeks after three billboards. So it was like, okay, fine. <laughs> like it's not good. It's not good. But you know what? Whatever. Um, and, and and but like something that kept bugging me was that like, <clears throat> well, first of all. Octavia Spencer playing Octavia Spencer appears, mm. and um, uh, it, 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 like there's a doing scene the where talking you know because <sighs> yeah she's doing the talking for two, and uh, there's a scene where where Sally Hawkins you know a- after they've consummated their their relationship, her and the fishman, um, and she's talking about it to um, to Spencer, and Spencer's like, but you know how um, because we see. Uh, Fishman, and he has a flat surface uh, under his his shell torso, and um, no fish stick. Yeah, and and Sally Hawkins does this like sign language to like show you that he has like a contraption. It's like opening the pod bay door, and then the erection comes out, and and like I can't make sense of why that movie would or that why that scene would be dropped in this movie. One because it's it's shot in close ups, which is also kind of uh, no pun intended, fishy. Um, but it's just like, why do you have this to explain to us? Because the penis doesn't come in, or the phallus doesn't come into play at all throughout the rest of the movie. And it's just like, well, they already had sex, and we were all already supposed to buy it, right? And so why are you trying to describe it afterwards? Which seems like, um, and, and, and I've heard other people guess this, that it, that it was part of those test screenings, where it's like, well, maybe you should tell us how, because I can't stop thinking about how they would have sex. Um, is it which is just, like, funny. Which is funny because there is that character Giles, the, the Richard D. Jenkins, which is just a terrible character. But um, uh, it, 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 he's he's a gay character. And in other words, he's, he's othered, you know, um, sexually and uh, not heterosexual. But yet there is this 
there is this stringent reliance on telling us that Fishman and Sally Hawkins have sex in a way that is heterosexual, which just sort of like uh, it, it it takes away yeah. any teeth that this film might have. Yeah, it's like we were backing up the other. other, but honestly, like, don't worry, the core couple are still normal. Yeah. Let me, yeah. Let me say this. I want to I wanna call for a moratorium on movies where one or more of the characters is a cinephile. I can uh, I oh. could I could Good do luck. without any movie reminding me that I could be watching better movies. Yeah. It's it just it's I'm sick of it. Yeah, you're like I could be watching Last Action that, that Hero. Actually, right that actually that actually reminds yeah. me of um, Pete Labuza. Uh, his he, he has like, like uh, this profile. Oh, his, file. his yeah, pin he, tweet. Yeah, yeah, his pin tweet, which is basically yeah, less mo- less movies about the magic of movies and more movies that are just magical. And I think that's yeah, basically it. Like, shut the fuck up about oh, we love cinema. Just make good movies. That and reminds me of Guillermo del Toro. He's like. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro, he's like just one of the most famed cinephiles. Everyone talks about, oh, he's got great tastes in movies. And I'm like, great, make make something good. Don't just reference <laughs> yeah. other movies in your movies. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's got that whole setup with all the old movies. And I mean, it's clearly indebted to Creature in the Black Lagoon. It's half of it above a movie theater. Yeah, yeah, they live over a movie theater because, see, she's she's mute. I Actually, you know what? That doesn't make any sense. She's not Wait, deaf. that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> she's she not hear. deaf. <laughs> Holy shit, Sally Hawkins' characters are deaf. They even mention that I checked out by that point. But they live over a movie theater that's super loud and vibrating. And they, they're okay with it because they love old movies so much. And they watch them on TV or something. What and, and then there's the scene and they go down into the theater and there's just a fucking fish dude standing in the middle of the theater all to enraptured yeah, by it, the love of movies. I thought it was going to turn into like the purple the purple rose of Cairo for a second. Uh, weirdly, uh, reverse, weirdly a reverse purple rose of yeah, Cairo. Weirdly a movie that's less it. problematic. Like Woody Allen feels less <laughs> problematic to me than this fucking film. I don't know what this fucking movie is. I guess it's the most aptly named film of the year because water doesn't have a fucking shape and neither does this goddamn movie. But it's they should have called it the taste of water. <laughs> it's just it seems to not understand what magical realism is. And I, like, if you're making a magical realism film, why are we so concerned with the the fucking realities of of fishman sex? And what the fuck is Michael Shannon doing here? And yeah, I feel like it falls into like it's like Pan's Labyrinth. And my issue with Pan's Labyrinth is that it's a movie that's very much about the divide between fantasy and reality, and then it's got heapings of violence in it which is real and it's important that the violence in the film is real but it's rendered in crude CGI and looks like fantasy it looks like the the monsters and in, in everything in the film and it completely collapses the central conceit of the film and it's it's I I still enjoy it more it resensitizes than this. You it resensitizes me to Guillermo del Toro just not quite ever getting anything right. I'm still, I'm seriously coming down Blade Two, maybe being his best film ever. I haven't seen that in 15 years, so I maybe it's the best one I've seen. Yeah, but but so so like that has that that fantasy reality divide, and he just steps wrong on it. Yeah, magical realism, and then it just has these sequences of gore and grisliness that are just incongruous. They don't make sense other than to. to highlight like Michael Shannon if you don't hate this guy wait till you see the next scene it's like we hate him you've made it abundantly clear he's not a real person he's just a terrible terrible stand in for government oppression or something fine you right. know and it's just uh, like the whole thing where he shoots the guy in the cheek and then drags him by his at uh, the hole in his cheek but rams his fingers into it and drags the guy along it's like that's really violent and and you know awful 
But I don't care. I couldn't care less about this movie at this but point. But it's it like just... a fishing hook, get it? Oh, you see, oh, there we go. That's imagery. That's like yeah. something an artist would do. Yeah. But is this is this movie meant to have that Pan's Labyrinth like fantasy and reality no, clash? Because well, it doesn't seem to give a shit about that, except in these like rare moments. Like, and again, with its in fact, like I don't fucking watch Beauty and the Beast to see the Beast fucking rail a woman. That's not that's not fucking acceptable. And, and and again, like it's if you're gonna go that way, then then fucking commit to it. It's still so ashamed yeah. to be transgressive. It, it has to. Yeah. It has to establish this relationship as heteronormative. It has to, in the end, even establish Hawkins as a mer woman herself. And it's just like fucking pick a lane, motherfucker. Oh, we haven't even talked about the the. Uh, I hate pronouncing this, but dos dus ex machina, uh, <clears throat> where he regenerates. Out of well, yeah, he's a god. Like, at the Del Toro end. has said in an interview that he is actually a river god. Like that's that's his thing. Because like, oh, well. they mentioned they mentioned. It's I didn't like, get that. Hit- I didn't get the pamphlet walking. Yeah, in. well, there you go. Well, you should have, along with your injection of whimsy and whatever. But yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. He's a river god, and they they catch him, and they're like, he's some kind of river god, and we're gonna dissect him because we hate Russia. And then he turns out he is a river god because he's invulnerable and also have sex with the lady, <laughs> which you know, a couple of things couple things we haven't talked about one and we don't really need to but i do want to bring it up this takes place in uh mid-century baltimore two uh this there's this wonderful scene probably one of my favorite sequences actually uh where uh michael shannon uh buys a cadillac and that's one of your favorite scenes (laughs) and then he, he 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 comes home and he talks about the cadillac or whatever He's very proud of it, takes it to work, and lo and behold, the good guys smash it. That broke my heart. And we're, and, and we're supposed to, like, like there were people, actually, the theater, that, the, 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 the crowd that, that uh, Sophie and I went to see it with, they clapped at the end of this fucking oh, movie. Oh, God. And during that scene with the, with the Cadillac, there was, like, an uproar. Just like, yeah, it's like, you realize somebody wrote that, right? This isn't, this isn't punked. Like, that show has been off the air for a while. Like, people can do that with a pen and paper. Well, you know, I mean, you say that, Sean, but I mean, in transgressiveness land, remembering the help that they made a white lady eat a pie made of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Which is in the same... Which is in the same... Yeah, which is in the exact same deal of of comeuppance of, like, of, uh, what you say, of revisionist comeuppance. Uh, Guess what, guys? In history, the good guys didn't win a lot. And honestly, a smashed Cadillac, Cadillac doesn't change centuries of of systemic oppression. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you're glad he crashed his teal Cadillac. <laughs> now, I want to ask an important question here. Because some of these things, even even the, the reviled billboards, I, I suppose I can see <laughs> what people are getting out of it. Like, why someone connects with it. Like, this... I don't get it. What, why? Why is this movie so lauded? What What are people seeing in this fucking movie? I've seen people. I've seen people talk about the the fact that it does privilege um, <clears throat> female sexuality. Like it, it gives Sally Hawkins the, this female. Like her 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 sexuality yeah. is uh, foregrounded here, and that's something we're not used Transmutes to. Transmutes uh, it to an egg. That yeah. That that to me is is um, my experience. That is uh, that that's that's taking. 
that's taking the small bowl you, you, of oatmeal. You, you know what? You know what? I, yeah, because I feel like there's this focus on eggs throughout, which has I know a, a vaguely sexual connotation in terms of of her female sexuality. I don't know. They bond over food, but I don't know. It's I don't know. It's it's weird, but it just made it just occurred to me. Honestly, you know, a movie involving female sexuality and eggs that's much better than this in the realm of the senses. Which, if a fan of this movie were to watch that movie, they'd be so offended that I feel like it's now my life's goal to make someone watch <laughs> that movie without knowing what it is first. Wow, da- David er- Ehrlich loves that movie. <laughs> Love one. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, good, good stuff. We're all good fans of him. He's a very good film critic. <laughs> okay, moving on. Just uh, one final thought. We, I think, uh, I think yeah, if yeah. anyone liked uh, The Shape of Water, they should watch Andre Barochik's The Beast uh, for a real good time. Jack <laughs> oh can back God. me yeah. up on that one. Yeah, In the Realm of the Senses and The Beast, Double Bill. Fantastic yeah. films about female sexuality. It's the antidote. Yeah, we yeah. didn't talk about Michael Shannon. He's a bad guy. Um, presumably in between takes, he spat the scenery into a bucket. And I then just presume eating it again. I like Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon is so one of our finest actors. Yeah, yeah. but he his de- his decaying fingers that means something, oh, guys. God. Maybe you forgot about oh, that. Oh, jeez, that's why right. he rips his fingers off that were reattached because they don't work. Oh, I forgot. There's a fucking musical number in this movie. <laughs> oh, Jesus, there is. Oh, I blocked that <laughs> like, memory. It's terrible. It, <sighs> it's whimsical. <laughs> There's fucking everything in this movie. The fucking whole kitchen sink just chucked right in this motherfucker. See, that's what movie. everyone. That's what everyone likes. So about if I'm it. a listener, if I'm a listener right now, <laughs> I'm going. <clears throat> I'm going. Well, Sean liked Call Me by Your Name. Uh, Eric kind of liked it, <clears throat> but these guys are pretty sour. First, what, do we, what what can we do about that? Uh, uh, we, uh, I suppose we could transition to a movie that does not suck. Let's uh, go to 1950s London, shall we? Uh, we're going to discuss uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, The Phantom Thread. Well, actually, there's no the. I always say the Phantom Thread. <laughs> the Phantom. It's just Phantom Thread. Sorry. It's TPT Thursday, guys. <laughs> I will I will say Phantom Thread. Okay, I'm a lifelong naysayer of Paul Thomas Anderson. He's a f- director who's never impressed me, honestly. Um, I kind of liked some of his films. I kind of stopped watching his films after, like, Punch Drunk Love. I was like, fuck it. I, actually, it was There Will Be Blood was the last movie that I watched. And I was like, I don't literally couldn't care less what's happening here. Don't care. Uh, and I haven't watched any of his films since. And I'm actually reconsidering that. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I should. I'd kind of given up on him. It's just he always felt indebted to Scorsese and, and Hitchcock and, you know, whatever. I don't care. He's a very... He reminds yeah. me of Kubrick, another director that I'm really never too hot on. He's a very good director. Technically, he's a very accomplished um, kind of maker of film. But his film, I just don't care. I sat down and watched Phantom Thread and honestly, I loved it. This is, actually, I will say straight up, this is my favorite film of the best picture categories. This is, I think, the best film of all of oh, them. I agree 100%. Yeah, Damn. there you go. I didn't know I'm a little that. more favorable towards uh, there will be or uh, P.T. Anderson. I love <laughs> I love there will be blood. I like several of his films, um, but yeah, I think this is his finest feature as a filmmaker, and I I Me would too. I would go so far as to say virtually everything about it is perfect. Yeah, I lo- yeah, yeah I love this film. It's. It's funny. It now, yeah. His films are never funny to me. They like oh, whenever yeah. there's humor, it feels like Christopher Nolan with his interstellar bot that ups the humor to seventy percent. Like his yeah. films always have that feel. This <laughs> film is genuine. It's 
Like, this film is a hair's breadth away from being a screwball comedy, almost. It's it's just... But it isn't. Like, it doesn't present itself like that. It's this really weird film about gender relations, about uh, constructions of kind of relationships between two people, the power dynamics, played with this just... It's a beautiful-looking film. For me, like, honestly... Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, like, this film, cinematography, this blows everything else out of the water for me, honestly. Call Me By Your Name is pretty, because Italy's pretty, but this is, like, every oh, form, boy, every section is just exquisite. Um, yeah. There's just a fo- there's a focus on texture and, and form throughout it that's just wonderful. And Paul Thomas Anderson actually did the, the camera. He was a camera Shot operator himself, and cinematographer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know that. So he, he worked under... A real Soderbergh. Yeah, well, there you go. A real Paul Thomas Anderson, I think you'll find. Because he's very important. But uh, I'm going to have to stop making those jokes because now there's a movie of his I really like. It's almost disappointing, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I've been so used to I, railing yeah, I, against I, a cinema for years and now I'm like, shit, that one's good. Yeah, well, wait till you see 1517 to Paris. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I liked Unforgiven. That's a great movie. I think Clint Eastwood can yeah, make great movies. Also, like, it's also 20 years ago. <laughs> um, anyway, um, Phantom Thread, I, I really liked it too. Um, I, I don't... I don't think it was. I don't think it's perfect or anything like that. But I really, really liked it, and I, I too think it's, it's my favorite uh, PTA film. Uh, there, like everything else before it, there, there's plenty to admire, but there's always something that I'm just like, I can't really take it all seriously. Yeah. Um, and there's something here that really kept me going. Um, this, this dynamic, like introducing uh, Alma, played by Vicky Crepes, uh, she's just so great, and it's. And it balances this, um, I don't want to say overstated, but Daniel Day-Lewis is great in it, but it's a big performance, or, or, or maybe maybe even not. Uh, I mean, he does it's this a, accent, it's a big, but maybe that's a... performance. I, like, I think that's a yeah, real thing. Like, it's not t- Gary Oldman. This is a man, it, like, he's, he takes control, but it's not like he's not in heavy makeup doing an impersonation of a man you right. saw on the news once. There's just a pretense, I guess, because uh, publicity. Like, I mean, if you watch it like 50 years from now, maybe it, it won't exist. But, um, but going into it, you're like, okay, here's not only that, but it's mythologized by being maybe his last performance. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like, um, Figure Crepes is just so good. Didn't get and, nominated. Um, and Leslie Manville playing um, this, uh, I can't remember if it's his sister, but it's, uh, yeah, basically, it's his old so and so. <laughs> yeah, um, which is cribbed right from um, uh, a, a line that John Krasinski says in Away We Go, starring Maya Rudolph, <laughs> who is P.T. Anderson's uh, wife. Coincidence? Oh I don't think so. John Krasinski, uh, I feel, has his, his hand can be detected in so much of today's great cinema. <laughs> I'm just saying, he's probably, I'm, say, I'm saying Anderson's probably watched that movie a couple times, his wife's in it's, it. He, he, hey, hey. No, hey, that guy possible. from The Office is a really powerful... <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's that's sort of an in joke that I don't even know has formed yet. But um, anyway, uh, there there is like um, Leslie Manville plays this 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 great like the the women in the, in the film really hold down the fort I think, yeah. and um, um, there is a great uh, like I guess the movie, um, the plot I guess like Vicky Krebs's character. She's introduced to his life as somebody who disrupts it. And it's something that I'm not used to seeing in movies, especially Paul Thomas Anderson movies, about this 
this genius. Uh, we're just used to seeing like a genius sort of like just uh, destroy everything in his wake and you a know, Winston Churchill, you may say. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, just you know, seeing him at his darkest hour, and then he comes out. And um, but but you see, Vicky Crepes really sort of like command, or Al- Alma, the character, really command a place slowly, and, and it's just a joy to watch. I don't know what what did um, Eric and and Myros think. Eric, I'll let you go ahead. I I don't have a ton to say about this film. I, I think it's good, but uh, I'm going to let you have at it. Interestingly, I'm kind of on the same boat. Like I. I, I'm also, I've sort of been wanting to like PTA's recent films more than I actually like them. Um, like, I I enjoy There Will Be Blood, I enjoy The Master, I enjoyed Their Inherent, Inherent Vice, and I, I've been meaning to revisit them because... I do feel I do feel like there's something that I missed. I, like, but I can't I can't decide whether it was just I didn't. Don't be too sure. <laughs> yeah, I can't <laughs> I can't decide whether it was because like I genuinely missed something. Like there was something I didn't get, or if there's just nothing there to get. I I really can't. That's why I have to revisit them. It does feel it does feel like there's a cinephile dick measuring contest about P.T. Anderson's oh, yes. work that is just infuriating. Oh yes, I agree entirely. But um. Yeah, I've seen yeah. Weirdly, I've never, I've never heard a woman try and convince me that a P.T. Anderson film was great. That's <laughs> never happened. Um, but yeah, and like, and, and I, lo- I love, I love Magnolia. I seem, I'm in somewhat of a minority in that. I just, I, I adore Magnolia. I, lo- I really like Punch Drunk Love. This is the first P.T. Anderson movie where, like, I've watched it and I thought that was good, but I. Like I, I really only need to see this once, and I feel like I got it. Like I feel like there's, there's not. I feel like there's less huh. to explore in his films. There's less that makes me want. There's not, there's not really much that makes me want to come back to that movie, which is interesting. I watched this twice in cinema, so QED. <laughs> I did too in seventy millimeter. Oh yes, or... yeah, that's right. Uh, me too, Jake. Yes, we have truly seen this film. <laughs> Eric That's probably, right. Eric probably only experienced some crude digital you watch camera. Where'd you get your DVD screener from? David Ehrlich's software? Oh my god. You probably watched Dunkirk at some smeary high resolution digital version. Ugh, or your with fucking pixels. phone, you doof. Yeah, uh, uh, Myros didn't take too hot to it. I think you saw it before most of us, if not all of us. Uh, yeah, I saw it opening weekend. Uh... I, I mean, saw the opening Thursday. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's probably not fair to say that I didn't take to it. It's just uh, I. I think I might be more of an apologist for P.T. Anderson than most of us here. I. I do not really care for his early work. I think uh, I would entirely agree that he was hugely indebted to a fault to his yes. forebears, especially if you look at Boogie Nights. Is a fucking Scorsese <laughs> movie. Yep. Magnolia and Magnolia Altman. is an Altman movie. Uh, and no, it isn't. <laughs> right. It, it's it's just like the... Well, I mean, Altman's made some stinkers, and, and this would qualify. Uh, it, yeah, it's, his, it's, it's he's like, I'm really trying to rip... You know, like, I've been watching Dr. T and the Women recently. <laughs> really gonna try and... uh, I will yeah. say, I retroactively hated Magnolia after I saw Shortcuts for the first time. 
because it's the same <laughs> oh, that's fucking a very movie. Good point. Mm. Yeah. I was not forced to retroactively hate Magnolia because I hated it the first time I saw it. But uh, well, the only I thing I remember from the first time I watched high school. Uh, the first time I watched Magnolia, the only thing I remember it's been years and years since I saw it. But all I remember is I wrote a little blurb on it afterwards, and my the, the phrase that stuck out to me was emotional pornography, uh, and that was my take. <laughs> Well, you should have had one more note that was like Paul Tom- or, or sorry, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh well, he was still alive. We felt we had all the Philip Seymour Hoffman in the world to enjoy. That's true. That's true. Um, oh, yeah, that's that. Well, that's shit. Sad. Now it's a downer. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> kill the vibe. That's a film I, where everyone is like dialed up to eleven, and then fucking frogs happen, yeah. and he does make it. Tom Cruise look good, which is something. Damn that. That dialed up to eleven though is kind of what I love about the movie. It's just like it's just this raw nerve of a film that like it's and it's like it's almost operatic and it, like I won't wax poetic about Magnolia. I won't I won't argue. I won't debate Magnolia, a movie that's almost twenty years old at this point. But yeah, uh, I, I'm sure it has merits, but it's not for me. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it has it has three it has it has three merits. Philip Seymour and Hoffman. There you go. Hey, uh, the sound the song nice. is good. Like it's just. It just shouldn't be in the movie because that whole scene. Oh yeah, the soundtrack. The yeah, so that's. Amy I've Man. listened to that soundtrack plenty of times. Yeah, there we go. All right, we're being positive. <laughs> it's a reverse. Call me by your name. Anyhow, Phantom Thread. I I like. I think that around the time of There Will Be Blood, I feel like P.T. Anderson's really started to develop his own voice, and uh, the movies can feel pretentious and ponderous. But I have roundly enjoyed pretty much everything he's put out since then. I think Inherent Vice was an odd choice but uh i appreciate it on the level that it it authentically felt like a pinch on level which is something that's difficult to pull off certainly but uh yeah i mean if if, say talk about how much i like this movie i'm gonna go back and watch the master and inherent vice which was not something i'd ever planned to do so you know that that's that's pretty pretty good but uh, yeah i feel like phantom thread has this element of it also, it's a difficult artist punctured. It punctures the myth of that, that Daniel Day-Lewis is so difficult to work with and he's in charge of his domain and he is ordered and precise and a genius. And there, there is a debate, obviously the uh, Alma, the character, comes in and punctures all of that and, and asserts herself within it and there's this power struggle that I think is... I think can be universalized as an interesting element. Obviously, the film goes in a very interesting direction involving poisoned mushrooms and, and uh, knowing poisoning and stuff, which is, I think, like I say, like, this is like a Lubitsch film, honestly. It has that real feel of like a, a sparkling romantic comedy with this really dark undertone underneath, like this really dark, cynical edge that's elided over with a, with a, with a, like a, lo- a coy laugh like haha people are terrible and it like it carries that in a way that like Ernst Lubitsch made a career out of carrying films with like like Ernst Lubitsch could make I, I swear to god he could make a movie set in like a concentration camp and it would be fucking hilarious I mean he did make a film about the Holocaust about like Jewish treatment by Germans in uh, To Be or Not To Be um, you know like he it feels like that kind of a film that it just it, it works it it, it I, I I have reservations about one scene, or at least the readings that I took. Like I kind of, <clears throat> all that stuff uh, has uh, extrapolations uh, about um, sort of auteur theory and sort of uh, puncturing that idea, to use your term, um, <clears throat> with with uh, a partner or an audience or however you want to read that. But um, there is a scene uh, that I don't know what to do with, uh, and that is the dress scene. Um, 
Uh, well, what, what which dress you look like? Which one? Dresses. <laughs> yeah, it's no, a movie about dresses. Sean. This is the dress. Where, no, it's where it's where they're it, <laughs> dress. Yeah, and, the and it's picture. the scene where they're like. It's the scene where they're like, is it black? It's clearly black and blue, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, what the fuck? Uh, no, uh, the scene where um, they're at the party or whatever, and he made this dress for this woman, oh, yeah, and she's yeah. drunk, and he wants it back. Um, I don't know what to do with the fact that she is complicit in like his his um, megalomania in wanting it back. Um, that uh, maybe maybe it works on a per, in a interpersonal level where it's just kind of like you're caught up in this romance, and but like it doesn't. I, I feel like it's a couple it doesn't, it doesn't, conspiring. It's yeah. a couple consolidating their it's, world. And it's him, and it's him, sort of falling in love with her even more just sort of saying like oh my god you're the same kind of crazy as me or you'll you know to a to an extent you'll enable my my crazy my neuroticism yeah make no mistake they're, they're two terrible people in many respects and that's that's kind yeah. of like i feel like that's that's to me it's like the little bitch element that it's just two people indulging in a, a nighttime raid <laughs> of a drunken yeah. woman who's who is also mm. um kind of very negative it's an interesting actually because i watched um watch with my wife and she she really took away from it she enjoyed it as well um but she took away that yellow or it was a green i think that she took was like this color of evil throughout the film nobody knows it's blue it's oh black. yeah yeah like the, the dress <laughs> but um that there's <laughs> a, the, the element that certain man. certain dresses certain colors manifest themselves throughout it and I can't remember it's been a while since I've seen it now I'm trying to remember I think it's yellow is the scene that keeps going back with the mushrooms and with the dresses that it kind of manifests in unease and a, a, a tension between um, Alma and uh, and what, what's his name Reynolds Woodcock or whatever some ridiculous name which yeah. I believe actually I think Daniel Day-Lewis won Paul Thomas Anderson over the, like he cracked a joke about like an uber English upper class name that was Woodcock and that turned that was the genesis of this film the film is born of a joke of like of a cheap dick joke effectively hmm. and I feel yeah, and um, I feel that's actually that's kind of charming that's something that really kind of works for me yeah, I think uh, the, the the other like little sort of Easter egg to to to, to speak like Mark Rylance, um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, is that uh, uh, it's almost a meta text on Daniel Day Lewis, right? Yes, certainly, and he has gone on the record to say that this is like this is not only going to be his last film, but this is like the film that destroyed him as an actor because I guess they were all they were all <laughs> living in this three bedroom house while they were shooting it, and he was just. He couldn't. He did not have the the, the quote unquote tools he needed to really complete the character because I, he just felt so cramped. And he needs to watch the movie and, like, and figure it out. It feels like such a thing because you say that they shot it in some three bedroom house. It's a fucking London townhouse. It costs millions to buy this house. It's actually now on sale, and it's like several millions to buy this beautiful historical townhouse. You make it sound like it's like a pokey little like oh we've just been, no, I, which, I, I thought know, the same the when same I read thing, about you it. You know, it's like yeah, we we had to live on top of each other in a gorgeous historical home. And well, they like, had the the crew and the equipment and the oh lights yeah, no, in there. It no, it makes sense within fun. the context. I think it's just funny because it, it does highlight that kind of like. Daniel Day Lewis, like I'm so difficult and I'm so difficult with so much stuff in my favor. Uh, but yeah, that well, and ja- Jake said so many uh, cast members, but or, or crew members, but they didn't even have a cinematographer. Oh, well, yeah, oh no. right, he's uncredited. It was a phantom thread. Um, <laughs> but no, I yeah, I was. Uh, I will say, much like Call Me by Your Name, I was sort of worried going into Phantom Thread because 
I liked, but I didn't love the master, and I absolutely hated Inherent Vice. And uh, like on paper, the, the 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 premise for this film was that there's this very fussy perfectionist dressmaker who can't find love. It sounded like a nauseating premise, but uh, a lot of my fears were qualmed almost immediately. And every like just watching it again, I can really revel in just so many wonders of the film. Like it's it's we've mentioned it's very funny. There's so many great quotable lines amongst all the characters and you can sort of spend time watching your favorite character on the frame and all the little minor details they're doing and and like simple things like Alma sitting at the breakfast table and just the the piercing sounds of her spreading jam on toast and Daniel Day-Lewis's eyes diverting from his work to stare at her or it's all just so fucking great i i think it it many re- viewings re- are rewarding yeah i and I would say about this film, I, as much as like cinephiles lose their shit over Paul Thomas Anderson, the Oscars have they've nominated him for stuff for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, he's never won an Oscar, as far as I recall. He's never won a BAFTA. He, he like he's he's the guy who's always just in the group, and then someone else wins with a film that just feels more timely. Um, which I guess is like Paul Thomas Anderson however cruel you want to be about his films all of his films have felt kind of out of time he's never made a movie that's really hit on the vibe of what's cool at any given time which you know if Orson Welles claims an artist should be out of step with their time Paul Thomas Anderson at least cleared that one up early on uh, but you know it's like it's all films are like oh, 70s porn or whatever and it's like yeah no one's talking about this right now so um it's it's nice. I'm surprised this film netted as many Oscar nominations as it did because it feels like a very small, kind of insular film, and so I, and like this gives me some degree of hope that this film at least it. I don't know if it'll win anything, but it it got some nominations. Now Vicky Creeps should have gotten nominated oh, yeah. for Best Actress for for damn yeah. sure. And I I haven't seen the post, but Meryl Streep fuck off basically uh, and I know that's that's unfair of me but it's uh, also absolutely not unfair of me and an uh, entirely logical thing Jack, Jack <laughs> I, I have seen the post and I am gonna go ahead and say Meryl Streep fuck off thank you <laughs> yes so it just, there was room and it's just mess you know like it there's so much in this movie that I think is it deserves acknowledgement and you know if there's any silver linings as the Oscars disappoint us every year at least this movie got some recognition there I'm, I'm happy in that my other main takeaway from Phantom Thread before we move away from this is that as an Irishman who's lived in the US for several years now this movie did give me breakfast envy and it did remind me <laughs> that it is impossible to get a really good breakfast in most places in America. Like, you're uh, just the breakfast burrito people have tried to sell me, the Mexican, you know, like with potato. <laughs> no, it's not the damn same. I want the, the Welsh rare bit, it's fantastic. Puddings, oh, the black and white puddings, sausages, sausage links, real good. Not like your fucking eye hop fucking no, you're making thing. Me hungry. oh my god the <laughs> breakfast is a thing of beauty i want it i've actually i i haven't got around to it yet but since i watched the movie this is just a test of my own laziness there's a place nearby that sells irish food and i've been meaning to since watching this film the last time to go up there <laughs> and buy all the makings of a real breakfast and bring it, it home so if nothing else this should have won the oscar for best it breakfast. is it is a movie that's very much like all different kinds of you know like quote-unquote 
porn, like it's food porn, it's it's fashion porn, it's it's you know architecture. It's, it's like, true. It is one of those movies, like also kind of like Call Me by Your Name. It's very much like it. You can just wa- like look at it and be like, ah. Oh. Oh, look, look at yeah. that. It is more more so than... His hair. His hair is but, it, but it has that... It has this oh, cynicism yeah. to it. It has this, like... Like I mentioned, that like that, that cynicism underneath it. Call Me By Your Name is such an open, honest, lovely yeah. film. Set in open, honest, lovely Italy with beautiful <laughs> fruit and gardens and People. vineyards and yeah. sun. And sun-dappled, beautiful <laughs> bodies and sweat glistening. And then this movie is just a bunch of awful fucking apricot juice. Yeah, it's it's just like this works so much better for me as a film because it's like just a bunch of angry, pissed off people living in a room. <laughs> and this is, this is my life. It warmed your cynical. It heart. did. It it definitely did. This is this is these are my people. Shall we say? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it, might I say that if we were to view this as a sort of treatise on auteurism, that I, I think it's an interesting sort of triptych with There Will Be Blood in the Master uh, and sort of an evolution yeah. of that uh, of that exploration. I, I think it's an excellent film, certainly among among the best and probably the best we discussed this evening. Yeah, well, probably, definitely. Uh, Sean would disagree. He's all about Call Me By Your Name. It's among no. I, I think I rate. I think I would rate those two movies. Um, no, I sound. I, I sound like I like "Call Me by Your Name" more. Be, out of contrast to you guys, but I, I would. I would put them on the same plane. Sure, I, I like them more. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I like them equally. certainly for the for for our our noble listeners. Uh, "Call Me by Your Name" and "Found with Thread." I think are the runaway uh, winners of of what we've discussed thus far. Yeah. Um, if you have if you yeah. have limited time and resources, <laughs> aim towards them. And you're listening to a movie podcast. Yeah, or listen to three hours of me <laughs> drunkenly shit talk Guillermo del Toro. Whichever, whatever floats your boat. That's that's under the Patreon subscription. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so let's let's move on. We're we're gonna leave the other four for the next segment of the podcast here. Um, we're gonna move on to best director. Uh, I don't know how we want to handle this. I we have not uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, nominated in this category are Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, uh, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, uh, PTA for Phantom Thread, and uh, my personal pick, Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Uh, he really pulled out so many great performances from his cast. And, uh, so, so to get that guy to eat the cat alone was such a difficult thing as an artist. <laughs> I think the way that maybe we should uh, approach this is kind of like, uh, one, I think we should do our due diligence and say, what do we think is going to win? And then to sort of debate what we think deserves to win, maybe. Uh, there, you know, there's, there's, there's leeway for other discussion. For me, this is... What do, we th- what do we think is going to win? I think Del Toro's got this one locked up. God, I Sink. hate, I hate yeah. that. That's probably true. I feel like it's between Del Toro. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Christopher Nolan won either. But I, would, uh, I weird. I, th- uh, I think this is. I really think this is Del Toro's to lose. I like. I. I. I'd yeah. be very surprised if something else won this. I think it's Del Toro. I think the dark horse for me. The only other possibility is probably Greta Gerwig. Peel, really? oh. that would be an amazing deviation. Because I think Peel is the dark horse. I think, yeah. uh, well, I thought of Nolan maybe might be the dark horse here. If it, if it's not, I, Del I Toro, think Nolan. It's Nolan. I think. 
I don't think I don't think yeah, I don't that's... think PTA Peel or Gerwig. Unfortunately, I don't think they have a shot. That that's my feeling on it. Honestly, I think Del Toro is probably the most likely. I wouldn't be surprised if no one happened it. And then Peel it would be my dark horse. I think with Hollywood with the Oscar soap white thing, I feel like there may be just enough people going like, well. Maybe make me look less bad. Well, and there's never uh, and just put. I, I would. Uh, Oscar so white is so last year. This is the so year of the me Oscar, too. Jeff. Yeah, but the Oscars is always like fucking seven <laughs> years off the pace of reality. So honestly, they're probably going to be like Rodney King got a bad deal. Jordan <laughs> Peele. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, uh, my okay, so something I thought about about this because because Get Out I think is wonderful. Why why don't uh, and I'm asking you to to sort of like just hypothesize, but why do you think that I don't think of Jordan Peele as a master director, even though I think that Get Out might be a masterpiece? Why don't I attribute that to Jordan Peele's? Direction? It's his first film. Yeah, I think, like I think that that's I don't I, like the thing that's working against him is the first film and it's a great first film but there's always a feeling of like there's there's a few people like Del Toro was established and I don't think he's won yet yeah. so and Christopher Nolan is established and hasn't won yet these guys have paid their dues and Jordan Peele's some young hotshot who's just worked his ass off for seven years or whatever doing all think, kinds yeah. of shit I but think, not directing I think Sean to, to to your point which I sort of agree with um, I was um, for me personally like if I were to say like who should win for me it's kind of a toss up between Peel and Gerwig um, I sometimes lean a bit towards Peel a bit more often just because he's the more visually flashy one even though he's not like you know it, it, you know get out isn't this like big technical Marvel like Dunkirk or Shape of Water or sure. something um, but I think yeah I think sort of to, to Jack's point it's like it's his first film and not just not that necessarily he doesn't have a fully formed voice or that he's like some sort of technically you know like well it's also a five million dollar budget yeah exactly it's, yeah and it's something like that and but like I think what it is to do is like what what I get from it is like I still feel like this if, if he wins for this it would be too early and it's not you know oftentimes yeah. when you talk about directors like you know like we've talked about del toro it's like he's made good movies before i would like to see him win i would have liked to see him win best director for some something earlier like pan's labyrinth or chronos or something mm. like not like this like that's usually how it this goes. is scorsese like, winning for the fucking exactly, departed yeah exactly like he doesn't win for the depart he doesn't win for goodfellas but he wins for the departed and i feel like it's sort of the inverse of this for jordan peele it's like i still feel like he has so much more creative ground to cover and so much more so much more to develop as an artist i really feel like there's there's a really really remarkable masterful filmmaker maybe two three four sure. five films down the road yeah i i for, for peele. i would say and so i feel like this this would be too a bit too early like it would be like I, it's sort of it's, it's premature. Exactly. There, there's that, but then I also feel that Jordan Peele has such commercial sensibility, which is great in Get Out. That it was such a yeah. commercial yeah. success, while being such a subversive little troublemaker of a film. I feel like he's moving into he's doing I think the Outer Limits uh, reboot of that and stuff. And I have very high hopes. You know, really great. Uh, I, I wish him the best, but I feel like maybe if he doesn't win for this, I don't know if he's ever going to win again. 
Um, right. I do. Yeah. I do have a feel because because it will become stuff that's too obviously popular and the Oscars has this kind right. of feeling of being like it has to be really popular but not that popular like we're not giving out you know we don't want to see yeah it yeah we don't yeah. want it to be too so I, you know I don't know maybe it would be I think it would be a great thing for me if I had to pick the two winners for me the two strongest candidates for me are actually Peel is not among them for me I think it's Gerwig and Anderson are the two that I think have really excelled in this because they both cultivated a space for a film and the problem is the problem I, is that best director becomes this technical treatise, and this yeah. why Del Toro and Nolan. There's you, know, you have to see the directing on the screen to really appreciate it, that's and that's you know the problem. Exactly, it, like it's like best editing, which is always awarded to the person who did the most fucking editing. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, ne- it's never best whatever; it's most whatever. It's most yeah, exactly. Directing, it's most Ex- acting. It's you know exactly. So I, I feel like Gerwig and Anderson did a beautiful job of cultivating a space for a, a film to happen. Peel, I think, did an... For me, Peel did a brilliant job writing, and he yeah, stuck to the script. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, so I feel like Peel's film is a beautifully um, precise film, and it's because he's, sure. he wrote a brilliantly precise script and he stuck to it and it's something I've said since I first saw Get Out what's really impressed me about it is that there is no fat on that film there is not a single sequence of that film that feels out of place or too long and that's something that a lot of first-time directors get really caught up in they they, you know it just goes on they want to do something I would say the same about Lady Bird Uh, yeah yeah, exactly, and uh, like Lady Bird is, but Lady Bird also has, I think, that feeling of it's a very like emotional film. It's about reactions. It's mm-hmm. about energy between people. And Gerwig cultivated all that. That didn't happen by accident. I mean, she pulled in Saoirse Ronan's not from Sacramento. You know, it's it's like she created this whole world. Um, to the point where I mean I've seen Reductress's uh, the the kind of their 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 <laughs> article about how fans are like anticipating more movies in the like Sacramento extended universe and I think that's a brilliant <laughs> joke because this movie is like it captures a place in a time uh, of like of an, a non place right. non time it's something no one could possibly give a shit about. I saw someone else joking yeah. about how the film was unrealistic because it didn't make reference to I think Sacramento Kings were doing really well in sports <laughs> at the time and, yeah, and yeah, no one yeah. mentions it which fair point nobody mentioned the, the, the refs uh, uh, rigging the, the semi yeah so the so you know there, there's kind of an element which to that. Jake probably knows a lot about oh yeah yeah. Jake. I'm from Southern California I don't know anything about the north <laughs> oh, no, LA. No, no, no. He's no. a transplant to LA. Oh, but yeah, for, but but I would say just to, to 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 finish up, like Gerwig and Anderson for me are my two personal picks. But I do agree. I think Del Toro is kind of like fuck. He's the he's the lead in this. He's he's probably the most likely to take it. Yeah, I would say Anderson's my first choice for who I'd want to win. But between Peel and Gerwig, I think Gerwig probably did a better job directing because I, I mean they're both debut films for each person but she came with I, th- I think a more fully formed voice and there's a re- there's a real specific editing the weird, style the weird to thing is, get at the, her uh, uh, Lady Bird that I loved the weird but, thing is Gerwig is a, it's not her first film and I only found this out recently she made she co-directed a film with Joe Swanberg right, which I've right, never seen right. and no one talks about and this Nobody is kind knows of which throws me is. off Sorry, just just for the sake of completion, she did co-direct no, I, a film before, but 
no one's seen it, and I'm and I can't blame anyone for not talking about it because I also yeah. have not seen it. <laughs> and Peel, Peel, I think for sure his strength lies in the writing yeah. because the world he builds in Get Out and just the sort of the detail and it, all of the racial and social and su- all the subtext in it is really something that emerges more from oh. the script rather than how it's directed. So I, he just to skip ahead, he's uh, he's my first pick for the best original screenplay, but. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think sadly uh, PTA should win this, but it's gonna go to Del Toro. Yeah. I I would to, to just to piggyback off of Jake, I would sort of say my if I had to pick one, I would go with Gerwig because um, like we've been talking about, like Jake said, like um, Jack said, um, Peel really directed the hell out of his own script but as jack said like he he stuck to it very closely and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that you still end up with a great movie um which get out is but i I think for me personally like my own criteria of like what is great or good directing it's kind of going beyond the script and sort of making sure that the piece that the movie is more than the sum of its part is it parts is it's more than its script um like with Get Out, I feel like the direction was, like, like Jack said, it was like there was no fat. It was very calculated and very precise. And the and maybe for me at least, just like a teeny bit too rigid. With Gerwig's direction in Lady Bird, I kind of felt like even though that film was obviously very heavily scripted and there was probably a bit of improvisation and like on the fly decisions and everything, I really feel like that film could have gone anywhere like at any given moment watching that movie i felt like like anything really could happen and that's and that's and that's due to gerwig's direction i feel like and so that's that's it's it's probably the least flashiest direction out of all the nominees but i don't but i don't think that necessarily precludes it from um honest i think i think there's you know i think you know quote-unquote non-direction or unflashy direction um, is it's still a a, a, a very a, there, there's still an aesthetic choice there, and I feel like that's that that kind of goes underrated. I, and yeah, that's all I've got to say about it. Yeah, it's, Ger- Gerwig offers the least obvious quality, exactly. And I think that, and I think that in this case particularly is very evident of how much work she actually did. Mm-hmm. That it's not apparent because it is a fil- Ladybird, as we'll discuss in the less in the next uh, episode. Lady Bird isn't a big film about big things. It's specifically not that. It can't be that. And she cultivates all of that and she conjures it up and lets her actors occupy the world of the film to create this film. And that's something that's very hard to... It's something that I think is generally is not rewarded in light of other directors doing grand gestures towards cinema like Guillermo del Toro being like we live over a cinema <laughs> and it's like that's that's you know that and all and, uh, the academy people are like oh that's that's about film and they they check their box and then they go and they die in their <laughs> fucking jacuzzi and that's that's the whole thing like, don't they know they could watch cinema paradiso like like anytime <laughs> they want that's a better movie like why <laughs> i'm sure uh-huh. there's a lot of better movies in the I... shape of water if you want me to list start listing them out if you have like <laughs> if you have like 12 hours that's, i can uh... keep going but yeah I, like now, now that you mentioned that jack i i maybe shape of water will win because the academy loves to you know award best picture to showbiz movies and i guess that 
there's that element of the movie theater. Oh god, yeah, no. This Why didn't Last Action Hero <laughs> what win? What we do is so important. Why don't the people understand? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like Spotlight, the number one movie from Germany. It's like La La Land, last year's winner of Best Picture. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, All right. Well, we've covered yeah, this. I, personally, I'm going to throw my uh, my vote to Jordan Peele. Uh, I think P.T. Anderson and Gerwig are also totally great choices. But uh, for me, Jordan Peele, A, he's working with half the money that even Gerwig had for yeah. a, a film as, as modest as mm-hmm. Lady Bird. And it's such an utterly unique product and such a, a balancing act in the in the tone that I think... He showed a pretty a pretty masterful. I hand would not at this. be mad if he wins no. for sure. Um, <laughs> He's just like Jack just smashes a bottle on the table. Like, I can't believe he defy me. Uh, yeah, I, I just I connected most with with Peel's work out of this group. Uh, but again, that's this, very woke of you, Adam. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. There's there's several good choices here, none of which will will be chosen, unfortunately. Uh, so let's move on to a category that also made some unfortunate choices and and a few good ones. Uh, we're we're gonna talk best actress, where we have Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water. Uh, you know she was she was mute. Uh, she was naked. Yeah, she showed her ass and, and oh, stuff like that. You know, uh, we have Frances McDormand in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, who is, well, she's Frances McDormand. I don't know if she's capable of being terrible. She didn't, didn't play a billboard, which is a shame. Yeah, but, but you know, that's we'll get into that. But uh, we also have Margot Robbie for uh, I, Tanya. Uh, we have... Go ahead and say this for me, Jack. Uh, I don't want to butcher this. This very <laughs> Irish name. There was a whole episode of Saturday Night Live devoted to this, Adam. God damn it. What do you think? Uh, I, I watched feel... that? <laughs> Even I watched it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, we, there's some disagreement, honestly, because I think she goes more for Saoirse, but I would go Saoirse. Saoirse uh, Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. Uh, it's yeah, Irish for freedom. Yeah. Um, that'll probably change your perspective on a couple of things, but I'm just going to drop some truth <laughs> bombs on you there. Well, my Midwestern, my fat wow. Midwestern tongue wants to say, like, sour rice, uh, Ronan, but... Uh... Our Irish is truly like the murdering of any kind of conception of normal phonetics. Um, if you want to understand that an MH makes a V and a BH also makes a V, yeah, that's what we're doing. We are fucking up the English in their own... <laughs> in their own letters so yeah there you go and uh let us not forget the most important uh, role of let's the forget year. her uh, meryl streep in in the post <laughs> uh can we okay so i want to just sort of interject and say like so we we've already covered some of these movies so we're going to come cover uh all of them more but i want to highlight uh the the oh god it is going to be talked about one more time but not positively i i want this is our only chance to talk about this movie positively and that is i Tanya. and i saw this movie um i waited a while and i went to see it in the cinema just because i was like you know what i should i have a free evening and i was very pleasantly surprised <clears throat> and um I, I mean, it, it, it has its shortcomings, and uh, we can talk about that if you guys would like. But Margot Robbie, Robbie is definitely not one of them. I, I found her to be extremely powerful yeah. in the movie, and, and I was taken with 
with how how much she was able to traverse these this like anger but in in sort of like this like camp high camp post camp whatever you know like subversion of camp however you want to interpret it uh, this weird uh bending of of genre um that she was able to to walk and uh the CGI stuff is amazing um wait, and it has real? her grin all over oh wait yeah oh yeah you didn't like the CGI it was terrible <laughs> yeah okay well we can talk about this because i I fucking ate it up with a spoon. It was, I, oh god, it was so fun. Uh, her face is just like plastered, like this smile on oh, top okay. of this body that's that's doing it. I think and I, see I, you like it. Okay. I, I I thought it I thought it was great. Like the movie was able to um, was 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 able to do some some weird uh, n- non traditional stuff, and and that fit in with it uh, in a way that I, I really. Okay. I really ate up. Okay, between this and fifteen seventeen, Sean, I'm starting to think that artifice. That, I'm all exactly, about I know exactly. I'm thinking that just like he. <laughs> I don't. Never mind. We'll. We'll. But yeah, I thought. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> I, I, I. Speaking of Itania, I in doing the catcher for this, it was probably my favorite movie that I just recently binged. Uh, I. It's certainly not a perfect movie. It's just. It's like tailor made for me to despise. It's this sort of bright bubblegum movie that's just jammed the gills with pop music, but it 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 isn't what it appears. I guess it's yeah. it it's, yeah. it takes a, an odd and interesting uh, tact, and it it uh, Robbie uh, is very good in a, in a performance that could have gone very wrong. Uh, talk about uh, a definite tonal juggling act that she had to perform. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got to admit, I haven't seen this. I did not see uh, this film, and it's not its not because it, I've heard really good things. It actually sounds really interesting, surprisingly interesting. And I kinda, I want to see it, I just I haven't been able to make time. So, uh, that's a shame. Y'all, y'all motherfuckers are crazy. I did not like this movie. I, Robbie's <laughs> wow. fine. Janny is out there. Janny's terrible. But... But uh, like like Sean, you mentioned this is like a weird like blend of genres that works. I think like a lot of my problem with this film is tone, and we're gonna get into one of the big films later in regards to how it manages tone. But I think that film manages its tone very well, and this film is all over the fucking map. Like at one at one I, point, I it's, a, it's a very broad like John Waters comedy, and then it's also yeah. this like like yeah. this tale of abuse and this you know poor woman who came from such an impoverished background and and was beaten by her mother and her her husbands and i it's like i didn't know what it was going for and i the the face plastering on the skating body doubles i thought was horribly distracting yeah i agree. Uh, I, I there's there's oh god is th- you guys no no sean no no, <laughs> no. <laughs> i get why you like it make, sean but make no. movies great again okay god damn it ah uh. I will say I will partially agree with you because I thought that the mockumentary was such a bad choice yeah. because because there's a fantastic documentary about the subject called The Price of Gold. It's one of the thirty for thirties and it's probably one of the best thirty for thirties, not about And it's OJ, weird that if not they the, have they have this this like wraparound narrative device of this documentary of like a where are they now? Everyone's in aged makeup. But then throughout the movie 
the characters will turn to the camera and they'll say, oh, and then this happened. And it's also got a very, sure. very incessant needle drop score. Mm-hmm. A la, uh-huh. People, I've heard it's called Goodfellas on Ice, but that's really, that's sort of... It's not the David O. Russell yeah. uh, jerk-off that I was expecting. I was, I was okay, feeling well, for I'll bad needle it's drop. Better than, I, it's better than Joy. Yeah, I... Yeah, I agree. I agree that it's that it like it's better than a lot of Scorsese imitating films, but it's still, I still think it kind of it's it is it does fall into that category of it doesn't get why Scorsese does that, like why he does the needle drops, why he has that very sort of uh-huh. you know fourth it's, wall breaking black black comic tone. It's just um, embedded into like film language. Exactly. Like it's it's just kind of like it's a very specific style that people just kind of use now without but it's it's turned like, into it's I turned into a, a temporal device. It's turned into like hey, remember yeah, yeah, yeah. the 90s when this was popular? That's and it's true. like yeah, um, uh, that's it's the dumbest reason ever to do anything basically. Yeah. Well, Myros, I, you, I think you liked this the most, and what, what, what were you so taken with? Uh, you know, a bodyguard character? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I... What is that supposed to be? I have no I earthly idea. A ride? <laughs> he is very This is fun. true. I, I really don't know why I, why this film worked for me. It, it does really have, it struggles with tone, and, uh, for, I, I don't know, that, that, actually made it more effective to me the fact that it was just this sort of like bizarre screwball thing that was it couched all this serious material in this glossy Mm -hmm. package and uh i hate needle drops more than anyone and the movie was annoying the hell out of me in the first half hour but it just it crept up on me i don't know so guess what needle it didn't drop that it could have that it like actively refused to drop uh heroin Sufjan Stevens. Oh, there, there you go. He wrote <laughs> he wrote a song for it. Uh, no, really? Well, yeah. that would have been so wildly weird. out of place. So good call. Um, I feel like I feel like Sufjan Stevens could have written a song about hitting someone with a steel bar to try and win a competition, <laughs> and about how that really makes him just like John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, by the way, we're not. He's like at the end. I'm just like those guys with Tanya Harding. You remember from the the story uh by the I way i feel bad because are... i do actually like his song sometimes i seven swans is a great album i love that album the rest i could kind of take or leave but for a while yeah now sure. why are we talking yeah. about fucking soup john i'm trying to steer us back here we are talking sorry, about Adam. best actress not not i tanya <laughs> not soup john fucking stevens not worst album. Uh, so <laughs> best album of the of available options. So who's gonna win? The answer is undoubtedly and unfortunately Francis McDormand. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Well, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Sally Hawkins is in contention, but Francis McDormand <laughs> is going to win for re uh, for brushing for playing off her, a tough her... broad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My yep. pick. Let's let's speed this one through a bit. Uh, I I honestly would pick. Margot Robbie. I think uh, that was probably my favorite performance huh. of the lot. I feel Saoirse Ronan <laughs> should have won for Brooklyn, which is, I know I'm the only person, but I think Brooklyn is genuinely a modern masterpiece, and I know I'm alone in that, and it's no, probably no, 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 no. part of Definitely. my Irishness, but like it's it's. I think it's just an exquisitely drawn film. 
Saoirse Ronan's great. Why did Joe write, Why did Joe Wright pass on? That would have been so good. <laughs> oh god, yeah, they could have totally done that. But uh, Saoirse Ronan, I think, does a brilliant job here. But honestly, if she didn't win for Brooklyn, she's not going to win for this. Oh yeah, Jack, no. you're not alone. I I what? adore Brooklyn. Whenever I catch it on cable, I have to finish it. But um, yeah, oh, I, wow. I agree. She definitely should have won for that. But um, I um, I think of all the options, she's the best. For me, at least, she's the best performance here. Yeah, I, I haven't seen two of them, but I've seen three billboards in The Shape of Water. So yeah, Saoirse Ronan wins. <laughs> I wouldn't be sad if she won. She's great. Uh, but I, 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 I would maybe, if I were to choose today, it would be Robbie. But yeah. I mean, they're, they're to, to be fair, it does it does fall in. Like Frances McDormand is not doing anything wrong. And when, when oh, yeah. we exactly. discussed three billboards, we right, were asked yeah. to discuss Every how performance it is. is perfect in that yeah. movie. Three, three billboards <laughs> is a film of incredible performances to yeah. absolute dog shit material. Yeah. I, 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 of, we'll get into this as we talk more about the acting races, but all of the front runners and all of the acting races, they're all actors that I like. It's just, it's just again, it's that thing with yeah. they're not rewarding the right performance. They're just rewarding them because they're due or because yeah. they're a veteran or whatever. Frances it's, McDormand yeah, is it's a great in, actress, right. and, she, and she's probably the best thing about Three Billboards, but this, like, <laughs> this isn't her best work, and this isn't even the best performance in the category. Yeah. What, what's nor in the film Lucas Hodges? <laughs> what are you? What are you guys so down uh, on Lucas Hedges for? <laughs> I, okay, I, I'm going to download three billboards and just like splice out this one line reading that like no one on earth I defy anyone to tell <laughs> to me it's good. What, whatever the fuck he was doing is like, why are we driving this way at school? <laughs> Did you hear the news today? <laughs> Uh, anyway, Jake, what's your um, uh, Sir Sharonin is my second choice for this category. First, oh, Francis. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I would not. I would not be upset that if Sir Sharonin won. Um, and I, I do think Margot Robbie. It's. I think it's fair that she was nominated because she's easily the best and probably only good thing, truly good thing about Itonia. Um, but uh, I. Think it's McDormand's going to take it, and I would not be upset with that. Uh, although Sally Hawkins could prove to be a dark horse. We'll yeah, see. Sa- Sally Hawkins is interesting because like we always award like um, I- I'm thinking of like uh, Juliet Messina in in uh, Knights of Kiberia and like the, and um, you know I'm trying to think. Oh god, I can't remember her name in the Woody Allen film in Sweet and Lowdown, who which is basically a Hollywood, Hollywood ending, ending oh, which is basically a, a remake. No, not Hollywood ending. Sweet and Lowdown, <laughs> which is a remake of Knights of Kiberia. There's always this play of like the yeah. of the actress who captures the film by playing a mute character. They can't say anything, but they command the film, and it's so amazing. And Sally Hawkins. Doesn't Wait, do, are you thinking of Lestrada? Yeah, I'm sorry, Lestrada. Kiberia does not have. Sorry, a that's lead. true. <laughs> sorry, that's right. That's She's just talking. It's Kiberia. Sorry, Lestrada. I got the name right. Okay, so that's you know the lady who was married to Federico <laughs> Fellini for several years and appeared in many of his great films. Um, so I feel there's this element of like the the mute lead that's like really people tend to harp on. It's like how can you act without talking? Which is the dumbest fucking thing in the world, but it's a real thing. Um, and Juliet Messina's great in La Strada. That's actually a great uh, example of it. Sally Hawkins is the bad example of it. Not because she's bad, but just because the movie is so consciously leaning on, like, she doesn't say anything, that's important. Now jot that down in your notebook. And that's kind of like... 
uh, it, it, like she's really good. Sally Hawkins is clearly a, a great actress. She deserves awards. She deserves recognition. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she shaded it just on the technical, which is so stupid right. that acting without words is a technical element. Um, but I do I do think it's Frances McDormand's is because she ta- she plays like a tough lady who doesn't take shit from anyone, which is like the the ultimate great role that everyone aspires to play. You guys are totally out of your minds, by the way. This is a clear two-horse race. To my mind, it will either be Ronan or McDormand 100 per fucking cent. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, well, I think we uh, all agree it's going to probably be McDormand. Yeah, I think I Hawkins, I give Hawkins a 0%, a 0% chance yeah. of winning. Yeah. 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 So, Adam, Adam, apart from uh, fuck Meryl Streep, uh, do you have, like, is there anything else to add there? No, it's Streep is uh, genuinely bad in in the post. I would say. Uh, I, I've never been a huge fan of Streep. I don't get the reverence for her. Um, I have you ever seen De- De- Devil Wears Prada? <laughs> I have, but I haven't seen it in a while. I should probably revisit that. Have you ever seen that really racist Wes Craven movie she was in in the nineties? Where she teaches. Have you ever seen Adaptation? Oh, I haven't. I have. I guess I haven't seen more. I'm thinking more of like her more mainstream stuff, like. Out of Africa, or like her recent stuff, like Florence Foster Jenkins, or yeah. Sophie's. Yeah. So she she got an Oscar nomination for that Wes Craven movie where she literally was seriously. Yeah, yeah, no, she she was. Did she even win? I don't remember. But that movie where she got African Americans to like listen to real music, which is oh, literally man. the setup of the movie. It's that bad. It's terrible. Yeah, if you think that Nightmare on Elm Street is a horror movie, Wes Craven's true horror movie is. That movie, I haven't even committed the, the name. What is happening in the background ah, here? We got some sort of <laughs> madness security. <laughs> is there, is there, I, is there, is there like <laughs> I have a feeling. <laughs> I have a feeling that Jake uh, Jake is Jake is feeding the cats. I have a feeling he thought he. Uh, we may be bearing witness to the great uh, L.A. earthquake that has been foretold for decades. <laughs> Oscar for greatest <laughs> podcast audio goes to. I think he thought he muted his mic. But he did <laughs> the worst part of it is, uh, he, is we all feel we have interesting things to say, but Jake has clearly weighed in on the subject. Uh, this noise is is uh, a apt descriptor of Meryl Streep's performance in the post. Um, so let's move on past that because it's not worth discussing. Um, we're gonna talk. Supporting actress. Uh, we got to be brief on these next uh, four. Yeah, we we are running long, even though we're splitting this into two, and it's, there's no real time frame. But let's let's zip no. by here. Uh, Mary J. Blige in Mudbound. Allison Janney. Best supporting. Yeah, did you? I, I said that. Didn't I? I believe no. I said that. Uh, <laughs> Allison Janney and I Tanya. Leslie Manville in The Phantom Thread. Uh, Laurie Metcalf in Larry, Lady Bird and Octavia Spencer uh, inexplicably. There are two people that matter in this. The one that's going to win that is awful, Allison Janney, and the one that should win, and that's Laurie Metcalf. Absolutely. Leslie Manfield is very good as well. Um, and I, I can't speak to Blige, but Larry, Larry Metcalf is fantastic i agree uh, and to, to to put to put her and jenny next to each other is is uh laughable yeah i i agree i think alice and Janie, she's you know she's fun she's um she's, she's like the big 
performance that you kind of want from this movie, and she's funny and enjoyable, but I feel like she doesn't kind of really dig into the character in a way that she could and, and to the point to the effect that she just becomes this really like one note very cliche kind of like terrifying parental figure like just like she's the big bad monster who like you know tortures the protagonist in the biopic and everything so yeah and I and I agree Laurie Metcalf gives like a much like she's probably the most nuanced layered performance in um just in not not just in this category probably in like all of the categories i would say yeah i would Um, say the same she's my she's my favorite thing nominated for an oscar this entire year so yeah she's she's outstanding leslie manville and mary j blige again like they're both great they're just they're not really given much to do like i i i i feel like that's not necessarily their fault and so i shouldn't fault their performances but i just I, I, I just can't really find myself getting too excited about either of their performances, even though they're very good. And then Octavia Spencer just kind of, she's there. She's playing Octavia Spencer. Uh, she gets nominated for the same performance every year, and it confuses yeah. me. But uh, Mary J. Blige also confused me a little. I, it's not like she wasn't good in Mudbound, but yeah, I, it was kind of a nothing. Like, Yeah. Uh, I didn't get she didn't, much out of it. She didn't make much of an impression. Yeah, there is no no glaring omission like there is in Best Actress with uh, Vicky Krebs, but uh, yeah, yeah. I I think is there anyone who would uh, offer an opinion counter to Laurie Metcalf should win this award, and Allison Janney will win this award. Uh, I would love to see Leslie Manville win if it wasn't Janney. Uh, or Metcalf, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, I think Janney's just sort of a, a thunderous performance, and it, it's one that's kind of hard to be overlooked with how much she dominates the film and really tries to take it away from Robbie. But honestly, I, I think like, Metcalf is probably the most deserving. I mean, she's the, to me, she's the heart and soul of Lady Bird and why I, yeah, I love that movie and why it works so well. So it would, it would really be nice and wonderful to see her take it from Janney. But yeah, I think, I think Janney is probably got this one on lock well uh yeah janny uh gets to carry home a statue for playing a, a broad cartoon you doesn't, never doesn't, know doesn't, there, doesn't some... janny play like an because uh, i haven't seen itonic doesn't she play like an older woman with glasses on yeah so doesn't doesn't yeah. that pretty much shitty, doesn't she, that pretty much sew her up that like she plays unattractive so that's the greatest thing that's mom. the greatest thing an actress can ever aspire to be <laughs> is someone that a man wouldn't want to fuck <laughs> <laughs> she plays a sh- she plays a shitty mom, and Laurie Metcalf plays like a complicated mom, and uh, it, oh, like a real a mom, dynamic. like a like a real person yeah. who's a person who has hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah. 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 The thing about Janny's performance is that it is Janny doing Janny. We've seen Janny do this Janny, and M- Laurie Metcalf sort of just like has been doing good work for a long time, just not in front of our eyes, and we finally get to see it, and it's like, yeah. holy cow. Like, the scene where <clears throat> the scene where they're in the thrift shop is just like, that, that's 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 your, your reel right there. Like, that's just yeah. such a performance, and it, it's Are beautiful. we not, have we discussed that Octavia Spencer should, like, that she literally gives two roles worth of performance? We, we shouldn't have mentioned, <laughs> we, you shouldn't have mentioned I'm that. So, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> sorry. We, all, like, we totally. all know what Octavia Spencer does, and... And uh, that is what she did. It's so disappointing because it's like she's a, she's obviously a very capable actress, but she's literally hired oh, yeah. to be like 
Uh, like it just it feels so terrible because it's like oh well our lead our lead actress is mute so we can just put in an African American to talk a lot because that's uh, you know what that's happened? what they do you know what happened and it's Go, uh, ballistic uh, ballistic Jaltarso he's like oh I he he's talking to to Spencer and he's like you know I watched this movie recently about maids and there was this woman. In it. And she gave this great performance. It was about civil rights and all the yeah, whatever, whatever. And uh, I just like uh, God. I wish I could remember the title of it, but um, I'll have my assistant find that and give it to you and, and for some research. And I, I kind of want that type of thing. Uh, you know it's what? This brings so- to mind a, a confounding point. How exactly? Was Kevin Costner not in The Shape of Water? <laughs> it seems as if he, he must have been in there. He was too busy giving Molly life advice in Molly's yeah. game. To be like, Kevin yeah. Costner probably baked the pies in the <laughs> pie was, store in The Shape of Water. He was he was too busy taking a crowbar to racism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember, real life. That was God, last I, year, Eric. God, I shed, I shed a tear every time I think about how Kevin Costner ended racism. It's beautiful. A beautiful <laughs> gesture. <laughs> All right, best, best actor. actor. Uh, we go uh, from... Uh, you Gary know. Oldman done. Yeah, cool. it, it's right. Gary Oldman. We're gonna go. We're, we have <laughs> one no. broad cartoon performance to another as Gary Oldman will win for Darkest Hour. But we also have Timothy Chalamet uh, for Call Me by Your Name, Daniel Day Lewis for Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out, and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire, can, which is the I strangest just, nomination of the year. Yeah, can, can well, I just, like can this, I just it's, add? It's the just real quick. Denzel's the Meryl Streep of the acting category. You yeah, kind of, yeah nominee, he, give it to Denzel. He kind of is. He's not bad. Yeah, he's, and he's he's a much better, like much more enjoyable actor. This is a much better performance than what Streep yeah. gives. In the De- definitely, oh, there's oh, yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, that's not a knock Denzel. on Denzel. Yeah, but there's more Denzel like Washington films, films no, Denzel, I would watch than than Meryl Streep films the, I would watch. Denzel is the only thing that like keeps the movie. Like a coherent movie, mm-hmm. the Roman J. Israel is otherwise just a complete mess of a film. He's the only thing that's like resembles a. What, what I would in the film. what I would like to bring out from this, and just as because it's it's appropriate here in Best Actor, is just Gary Oldman is a great actor. He's been in many phenomenal films. Oh God, uh, yeah. Al, yep. uh, Adam's gonna piss on me again because I'm gonna mention like Gary Oldman in like The Firm, the Alan Clark film. Adam. Ah. Knock off the uh, Alan yes. Clark claxon. I'm always talking about Alan Clark. It's not my fault he's better than all of you, okay? But anyway, Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman is phenomenal in so many films. It's, he really is a great actor. The Dark yeah. Knight. The Dark Knight Rises. That's right. Commissioner Gordon never felt so real. But um, the one thing that I really enjoy about this is that Gary Oldman's a shitty person. He has oh, yeah. shitty views on the on the world. He's a libertarian kind of like weird. He threw a phone at his wife. Did I mention that already? <laughs> uh, that's fine. Throwing phones at people is like reaching out. It's like communication. Uh, it's, it's a way it works. <laughs> what I really like about this is that this is like brought back in Gary Oldman getting nominated for this, where it's like literally it's a lock almost. It feels like the whole it's like the whole film Darkest Hour was designed from the ground up to win an Oscar for Gary Oldman, oh, yeah. and he's giving interviews, and all the interviews do is remind everyone that Gary Oldman's a shitty person. He's like he literally is the embodiment of your racist uncle that you have to just kind of put up with, except that he's been in a bunch of movies that are actually good. 
And but I just really, and, and yeah, he, I really appreciate. Anytime this. I, anytime I see him uh, in anything, I'm like, get out. <laughs> Which brings me to my point that Daniel Kaluuya should win. This. He's really uh, good. I, and and how good yeah. is he? He's English, and I didn't even remember while I was watching the movie. He's so. He, uh, so so this is another movie this and Call Me By Your Name are the only movies I saw three times and um, the, I mean Get Out was a special case because wow. uh, it, came, it came back because uh, you were overcoming uh, your I mean, racism I yeah <laughs> I, I was gonna say I would see Get Out for a third time if I could and then it came back um, but <laughs> but uh, I would have voted for Obama every time uh, but get, it, I, I saw Get Out for the third time and I was kind of like committed to seeing it Bef- like, but I kind of like I, like earlier in the day or week, and then I kind of like lost the steam. But I was like, you know what, I'm committed, and I it just like got me on the hook. Like, and we'll talk about it later. But like, Kaluuya is the center to this. Like, and it's such an understated, beautiful performance that like the first first time or first two times, which were in quick su- succession, it, it kind of like it just glazed past because it felt so natural. But like. like so much of this movie like the hook is like on his eye movement and like the way that he looks like he gives this side eye and the way that he tilts his head just briefly no I would agree it's just like all about this like it it, it walks that line of like um, you know I'm not like Jordan Peele isn't out here wagging his finger and it's all in this you know it's such a guarded performance it's 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 entirely it's a reactionary performance because that's the the behavior is this concept that you you're not in control you've just got to watch like keep you know where the exits are that's his whole shtick that's and he nails exactly yeah it's well said and 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 one thing that i i i sort of thinking about this in terms of like oscar nominations and everything it it reminded me of a couple years ago a, a sort of Oscar omission and oversight that I'm still kind of sour about, which was Michael B. Jordan's performance in Creed, which I think he not only should have been nominated, he was like the winner for me that year. And like, and I bring this up because like both he and Kaluuya's performance in Get Out, like they're both such great examples of like what I like to call like invisible acting where it's just like you really just completely forget that you're watching a performance and you just buy this as a person and it's the, you like, mean like, like actual like, acting yeah exactly <laughs> like like jack's like i call that yeah, exactly which <laughs> not like, when marlon brando and dustin hoffman get their fucking hands on us <laughs> but then uh, like and, and like we like we said it's so understated it's just so like the way that it's just in these little gestures, like like you said, like the way his eyes move, the way and that, it's so fun. And, and, it's yes, light. and ex- exactly, and so like yeah, that's it's it's. Sorry, it's, Sean, that, did you it, just say that Get Out is so light and fun? <laughs> well, his performance. No, his performance yeah. it adds a levity. Yeah, to it. it's it's it is it's deadly fucking serious. No, no, I I agree with Sean. It's both and and Jack. It's serious but it's also yeah. funny it, it, it's sort of the movie's tone encapsulated in right. his performance and I think that's yeah. what he's, he's, he's the most crucial performance to his movie Sure. Or at least to oh. the success of it. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen Darkest Tower, but it sounds like that doesn't work without Gary Oldman jerking off the Winston <laughs> Churchill. Well, you don't necessarily need Gary Oldman. You just need some my... guy in a fat suit <laughs> acting big. Like, that's... I, I will say, my, my second pick was Chalamet, who I think is I... beautiful in that movie. And I and when I brought that up, or I asked Jack after, after he saw it, I was like, did you bad? at least like... 
Yeah. Uh, I was like, did you at least like Chalamet? And he's like, well, he is a professional actor. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very well equipped. I am notoriously poor at acknowledging actors. I am, I'm like the Hitchcock school of like, they're just chess pieces. Um, but I'm, I'm... Well, I guess we're looking but without at... Um, me, I guess we're looking at contrast yeah. to, to something like Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm notoriously bad at acknowledging good actors. I'm more about like theories and structure of the film itself. But unlike like directors who consider actors chess pieces, I don't actually fucking harm them as part of my daily routine. Sure. So I feel like I'm slightly better. Uh, yeah, I guess all I'd add here, uh, Kaluuya is a good choice. I wouldn't complain with Daniel Day-Lewis or Chalamet either, but they're not mm. going to win, none of them. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I think my biggest takeaway with this category is I wish Denzel wasn't here. Perhaps his co-star, Colin Farrell, who gave a couple of ripping performances this year. I forgot he was in that movie. Uh, yeah, Colin Farrell deserves yeah. more credit, for sure, as an actor. He's been the butt of so many jokes, and honestly, he's... He's... Shit, he's been in a lot of really good movies. He's, he he's been very good in, in them. In The Beguiled, The Beguiled especially, but also Sacred Deer, I think both of those performances are very <laughs> oh, yeah. worthy of, of acknowledgement. He's a much better... Like, you don't expect him to be as good as he is, and I think people don't take him seriously because he's this yeah. acknowledged pretty boy, but it's just like... Sure, like, yeah. Cares. It's like he's a good actor. He's he's consistently in really interesting movies. You can tell he's not content to just be in rom coms or action movies or whatever. Like he wants to. Do yeah, I, I can tell you. I can tell you as an Irish person. Irish people make fun of Colin Farrell all the time because he is he is a Dublin 4 rich kid uh, without any question he's like Dublin 4 is like the rich section of Dublin that people make fun of um, but yeah no like the lobster he he's so fucking good in the lobster yeah, I he's agree. so great he yeah I haven't seen the beguiled but honestly like Colin Farrell he is the butt of so many jokes for no reason it's it's not deserved it's I, just like in well, Deadpool, in, that's in the early aughts well no he he was just like in a string of bad movies or like whatever. he was in Miami Vice well, which that, I will go to the back that started to, that's where he started to turn around I think because yeah, before that true. he was in like Alexander and uh, <laughs> a whole mess of stuff I don't want to get into but that yeah, paid I, for his houses I'm sure. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. Uh, yeah. I'm sure he bought a very lovely boat with that his Alexander money. Sure, I think probably I, he probably got to keep the boat from from Miami Vice. I'd like to think that could be a thing, or maybe maybe Alexander's Jamie Foxx took it. I don't know. Yeah, and all honesty, really his performance in The Beguiled is my favorite uh, from the actors I've seen this year. Uh, it's very similar to the Kaluuya uh, performance yeah, in Get Out. Uh, it, it all sort of like. Har- uh, harbors on him and, and it's all about yeah. his reaction to other people uh, sure sure uh anyhow we're gonna move on so we're doing best supporting actor where we have uh a clear choice uh willem dafoe in the florida Ooh. project uh, if he doesn't win and he probably won't i will be so f- just it's depressing that performance is fantastic and it's surrounded yeah. by uh in the best movie of the year pretty much like or the best like visible movie I, okay, people may not agree with me tone percent with that. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into this category yet. You're already off Just, the stage. It doesn't Jesus matter. Christ. It doesn't matter. All these other people were... Two of the category are in fucking three billboards. Who gives a shit, okay? The Florida Project is a film America's been yearning for. And there it is. 
<laughs> Nothing. Who, this is its only nomination, as far as I, I believe that's the only nomination for the it's film. Insane. And it's literally the Florida Project is like the best movie I've seen all year. Uh, like I'm gonna go out and say that I love that film. I think it's great. Least American, uh, right? yeah, the, at least the best American film for sure. I think it may be my favorite film of 2017, honestly. And uh, Willem Dafoe deserves it, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I, we'll see okay, about that. So here, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's being joined by uh, three performances I genuinely fucking loathe. Uh, one of which is Woody Harrelson <laughs> in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Another of which is Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water. A third of which is Sam Rockwell in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And, and we're left. And we are, Christopher Plummer yeah, left get, the, gets the the fifth yeah. fill in the gap performance. Yeah, the the gimmick as the gimmick no Kevin all of Spacey, the, where Oscar <laughs> tries to remind us that they don't approve of Kevin Spacey's ways by nominating Christopher Plummer yeah. for all the money yeah. in the world, which he filmed in like uh, twelve hours. So I'm very so I'm very glad yeah. we all agree that Willem Dafoe deserves this one hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Um, what? I I would actually dis I'm What's that now? I'm pulling, I'm pulling for plumber, actually. I think What? Yes, for real. <laughs> well, to I, be fair, I, he's the only one of us who has seen this what? film, so uh, <laughs> Alright. That, well, that is fair. That's in, true. Enlighten us. Um like I just think what like I'm, The time restraint. <laughs> um no, not the time restraint, not the whole Kevin Spacey debacle. I like Willem Dafoe's performance in the Florida Project. He is like for sure the you're, like oh you're very... goddamn right, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get kicked off this podcast. I, I, he is he is the like very very close second for me. Um, I just like what's really only holding me back is like I was not the biggest fan of the Florida Project, and um, I feel like what uh. what draws people to Willem Dafoe is that he's very much playing against type in this movie. This is... Myros, did you, did you like, mark the timer as to when you can, like, sort of, like, cut the audio for this? Uh, we for just cut it as soon as Eric started talking. <laughs> I thought, um... We don't want to make any enemies here. <laughs> I thought, to, to Plummer's credit, I think he played... He took on a character which was, um... And again, I say this with authority because I'm the only person who's seen this movie. <laughs> um, he, it's true. For all I know, this movie is about fucking unicorns. <laughs> uh, um, he, he's playing John Paul Getty the Third, and that's a that's a very that's, um, that's a very that's a that's a type of role that mo- like the vast majority of actors would have played as like a much more mustache twirling villain, and. Plummer plays him as, like, this very, very affable, like, you almost like the guy, even though he's, like, one of the worst, like, historically one of the worst people ever. Like, just, the, like, he's the embodiment of greed, and yet you completely forget that while watching Plummer. Um, and I, I feel like he gives a, a, like, again, it's that very subtle, very understated thing that Defoe's also doing. I'm... I'm and I would be happy with Defoe or Plummer winning. Those are the only two that I would be really happy with winning. Um, I just I give it to Plummer because I think he had a bit more of a challenge, and I just didn't care for the Florida Project as that much. And that's okay, uh, Eric. I still huh. like you. Just generally, you <laughs> seem like you're you seem like you're probably not terrible as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> 
so but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I gotta acknowledge, I mean, if, if we're talking about this, isn't this Sam Rockwell's Oscar? Yeah. Isn't that that's oh, yeah. happening? Well, yeah, yeah. well, the bigger question is, why is Woody Harrelson I don't know. Because he I was there. I, like, I'm so puzzled by that. I found Woody Harrelson, like, he seemed like he was generally, like, asleep. All of his lines have this strange, yeah. detached, like... It's as if he's. Yeah, have a nice car. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what choice Woody Harrelson was making in this film. Uh, I know what oh, yeah. Rockwell was doing. I don't like what Rockwell was doing, but I honestly was puzzled by Woody Harrelson's performance in Billboards. But I, Jake, I feel like the only reason he's in this category <laughs> is because he's like the character that you feel bad for. He's sort of like the quote unquote the martyr. Yeah, the martyr. He's the moral center, and it's like, oh, we feel bad because he has cancer and he kills himself, and it's just like even though even though he let a policeman under his it's apparent that only that only four. Films had supporting actor roles yeah. this year, which is a terrible yeah. short sightedness from the Hollywood that only four <laughs> men were, or four films allowed men to have supporting category roles, well, which meant Woody Harrelson had to be brought in. You know, guys, I uh, still can't reckon. Oh, oh go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm gonna move. I, I, uh, even, even we all, it's no secret at this point that I liked Three Billboards, but even I don't know why Woody Harrelson was nominated. <laughs> Sam Rockwell, perfectly understandable. But Harrelson, I mean, maybe maybe he's the the fifth. Uh, maybe they needed a fourth and fifth uh, nomination for this category. In which Rockwell's case, I'm going to win, though. Well, that's what we were going to get to. But I'm I'm just looking back at the year and I'm trying to think of any other supporting performances that I really love, aside from Willem uh, Stuhlberg in a that's movie true. called Call Me By Your <laughs> Name. Oh, right. he was in, yeah. That's right. Uh, perhaps yeah, Tracy Letts. There was some really good. Tracy Letts. There were some really one of five. Yeah, movies. there were some really good arm wars in Phantom Thread that I feel should have certainly <laughs> been considered. Uh, yeah. No, Stuhlberg. Stuhlberg should, he should. have been there for in, instead of as much as I don't like the speech he gives insane. in Call Me by Your Name, he delivers it very so well. Good. So yeah, he said all the lines. He ashes a cigarette better than anyone I've ever seen on camera. I actually think really? we are all overlooking what I would say would be the slam dunk in this category, which is Bradley Whitford in Get Out. Mm. Oh, very good. Oh, actually, yeah, that's that's good call. I mean, he would be my Jenkins. Well, yeah, I guess Willem Dafoe still the slam dunk in this category. I don't think I don't think but, they'd but be a Defoe, good look for the Academy if they nominated a white guy from Get Out. <laughs> uh, yeah, but oh, they yeah, nominated that would be a self-consciously <laughs> gay guy from The Shape of Water. Right. Um, I I think the thing about Defoe though is is that uh, I mean Eric kind of. Uh, implied that it's easier than than what Plummer's doing, and maybe that's so. I haven't seen that that movie, and I probably will never <laughs> see that movie. But um, <clears throat> but Defoe is doing something where I, I, I think I thought very difficult, which was um, he has to play this like overlord, this this t- this this landlord uh, who still has to have like. A, a knowledge of gray areas in these people like like he he has to be humane and um it's it would be so much easier if he was just like you gotta get out of here by the 30th you know whatever but um i i think what he's doing is quite difficult actually yeah. um and and it, it and it also even though he's the supporting actor the movie's like sort of hanging on that performance i think it would be good without it but with but but he's there and and you know sean baker said that he casted him because he needed funding but um it it 
it's just like this great anchor to the whole movie. Uh, besides C- Caleb Landry Jones, <laughs> yeah, that, he moved that um, mattress really well. I think it, I think it is oh, difficult yeah. to to overstate how difficult it must be for him to. Uh, I mean, it, I guess you could say what Plummer's doing is move that mattress. Is I know diff- is more challenging than what Defoe was doing, but Defoe was working entirely with amateurs, non actors. It can't be very easy to bounce off these people and make it as naturalistic as he does in this film. Again, it's impressive yeah. Again, I wouldn't be upset if Defoe won. I think that is a really great performance. I just sort of, there was something about Plumbers that I connected with a little, just a little bit more. It's, sure. Sure, sure. So respect, I, yeah, I respect that. It's also quite against type yeah, for Defoe. And, and, yeah, and Eric says that Plummer is very affable and understated, which is, I'm sure... It, he did that because he has authority. I am, I'm that. sure it's exactly the way that Kevin Spacey would have played the role. Uh, <laughs> I offer I offer this argument uh, in regards to who's going to win because I remember two years ago I was oh really boy. pulling for Sylvester Stallone to win for Creed, which is a movie I loved, and then Mark Rylance, out of seemingly no campaigning, came out of nowhere and won it. And a lot of people said, "Oh, you know, he's a very he was the best thing about that movie, and he had a fine performance, and he deserved it." And I think, okay, yeah, rightly so. And I think, I honestly think maybe the same change will happen here because Rockwell seems to be the hotly contested favorite and he won the Golden Globe. But I think just Willem Dafoe's quiet, more naturally perfect performance might sneak in and take this one. That That's just, that that's, you know, that's my personal stance on, on this category. I wish I had But your uh, I think that'll happen. I wish I had your yeah, well, optimism, Jake. Well, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, crazier things have happened. We um, can only fucking hope. Uh, and, anyhow. and I uh, wanted, I just wanted to say real quick, I agree with Jack. Like, aside from uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, The Full Order Project was my favorite movie of 2017. Oh, fucking uh, Christ. <laughs> God damn it. We're moving I on. Think, I think the, Move on. I think, the, I think just, the, just to highlight a great scene, you mentioned it would be funny if Kevin Spacey was in The Florida Project. He could be the pedophile that Willem Dafoe chases no. off of the property. <laughs> He wouldn't. He'd be the rich entrepreneur who gives jobs to all of the people and solves the problem through capitalism. Because capitalism holds within it the, the, the solution to all God. social problems. I'm so sad that this, this is our only opportunity to talk about Florida Project. It is. That deserves to be it really about, does. Uh, in full because it's so good. Maybe we'll talk about that when it hits like yeah, maybe we It just do, uh, came out Florida like a week ago. Yeah, it just came out shit. Oh. Well... Um, Sorry. It's not too late. Uh, <laughs> All right, the next hour late. is Florida no deadline Project for content. Time. It's like the only good thing attached to the state of Florida. Jeez. <laughs> uh, All right, well, let's anyhow, move on. Anyhow, we, we, are, we are just about done with episode one. We've already tested uh, my own patience and the audience's. Uh, we're not even halfway <laughs> through with this affair yet. Uh, so, uh, best original score, this one, we can't possibly drag this out, right? Uh, we have, oh, God. <laughs> we have uh, Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk. Uh, it's a Hans Zimmer score. Uh, Johnny Greenwood for The Phantom Thread. Uh, Alexandra Desplat for <laughs> The Shape of Water. I believe it's pronounced D-Splash. That's how, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> In the context of the score, it's D-Splash. Uh, we, uh, John Williams for Star Wars The Last Jedi and Carter Burwell for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I have absolutely no opinion on this category, so someone else talk about sure. it. Uh, Phantom Thread is most uh, deserving, but it's probably going to go to The Shape of Water's French... Uh, uh, accordions. That score is fucking terrible and does not fit the film at all, so I, fuck that. 
hopefully not. <laughs> but it's whimsy. I, I have one opinion. I have one opinion, and that is that Carter Burwell is getting a lot of play for literally like like digging in his hard drive for his Fargo score yes. and changing a yeah. couple notes. I, I will acknowledge I, I like, uh, that I do. I do feel like Alexander display. That uh, it's basically Jan Tiersen should get nominated for, yeah, his wonder- for his wonderful work on Amelie in 2001, which I think may have already won an Oscar. But honestly, it- which is not even the best Jan. Tiersen yeah, yeah, but but it honestly it very much showcases how his work can also be applied to a film about a mute woman fucking a fish. <laughs> my my opinion, um, like I'll I'll just say what I thought when I saw the nominations for the score in the case of The Shape of Water Star Wars and Three Billboards I went like there's music in those movies because like <laughs> they, they, like, <laughs> like, like I was just like it like like I, I guess I have a vague recollection of like some sort of melody being played under some scenes in those films but it's like, it's again it's just like it's score that's just meant yeah. there that's meant to be background Th- noise that's com- and that's that me and and that's why that's why I like I would I I really don't have any strong feelings one way or the other about the other two um but I'd be much happier with Dunkirk or Phantom Thread because I don't I don't know where this notion that like movie music should be invisible comes from I feel I like my favorite scores are scores that like you notice while you're watching the movie, like, and I think and they and they really add something to the film. And Green, I, Greenwood score did that to me. Yeah, I, I, I'm not like a huge like I'm the I'm one of these like people who's very hesitant to be like Radiohead, <laughs> but um that 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 score uh, is not Radiohead esque in a way yeah, yeah. that um, like like I think there will be blood. The score in that is very much like. That's about what Look, you like. If you, I'm here. Sounds. Yeah. If 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 you had if someone posed you the question, what do you think a score by a guy, uh, an orchestral score by yeah, the guy yeah. from Radiohead would sound like? You you pick that score, basically. Yeah, but this one's th- this one is a film yeah. composition. Like yeah. this is Look, this is here, really. Here's how I, I would put it. Just let's 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 be frank about this. I watched three billboards outside Emming, Missouri today. I watched it within the last four hours. I don't remember the music from it at all. I, I surely you've seen Fargo a couple times. <laughs> I am watching. I'm looking at our list of, of Oscar nominees. I see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Carter Burwell nominated for best original score. I'm like, oh, that's fucking weird. That's that's his nomination. That movie, I don't even recall what it was like. The only musical score within that is the word midget repeated a hundred times over. <laughs> Uh, okay, we gotta wrap up. Somebody's fucking playing like tiddlywinks in the background here. I... Yeah, we got a Michael Vick over here. <laughs> Sorry, my my golden retriever is trying to sit in my lap while I'm recording this. So I apologize to the and you would deny him that pleasure. And his, his floor is <laughs> yes. also coated in marbles. So, um, <laughs> I if you don't see the shape of water, let the animal do what it needs. <laughs> I I bet you Hans Zimmer wins this thing, but again, none of these yeah. really like wowed me. Yeah, as much yeah, as a knows. technical marvel Dunkirk is, I think it might walk away with a lot of these uh, technical awards, like editing and yeah. the sound like, mixing and editing for sure. Z- Zimmer's score is good. It's just not like in the film, it's dumb because it's, it really works in the film. But then, like the one scene in the film 
where the score really calls attention to itself is where reinforcements arrive and the the score for the first time oh, brings in this like op- yeah it brings in this optimistic swell and it's just so like on the nose it's terrible and that's what and I'm that's kind of surprised his score for Blade Runner wasn't no yeah bad, yeah honestly. like I but I, I do feel Dunkirk is a really good soundtrack like outside of the film I would listen to the Dunkirk I would listen to Hans Zimmer soundtrack just generally it's a really interesting kind of soundscape can, can we talk about the, 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 the soundtrack or the, the score that uh, I think we all would agree it, I don't know if Eric have seen, has seen this but that, that should have been nominated but not only that but should win which is Alex Summer's score for Dawson oh my Dawson God. City oh, Frozen yes. Time oh, which, yes. is, which is just like phenomenal 100%. score I think I, I've listened to it to more do, than any do, album I'm starting to do what you're doing Sean where I just I pull it up on Filmstruck and just listen to it in the background while I'm working yeah. so yeah. good I, um, that's what it's supposed to be for sure yeah I haven't seen Dawson City yet but based on what you and you guys and everybody else have been saying I'm sure I'll probably love the movie and the music but if, if I can also so do that, good. like, another film that, like, wasn't nominated, but if it had been, that it would be, like, the easy pick for me would be the score for Good Time, which was... Uh, Ooh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, the one yes. ho- oh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a... I'm on the, the boat side on that, because Spe- I feel like the electronics... Speaking of... The electronics score... Good Time is not not getting anything for Good Time is crazy. It's great. Yeah. My it's God. overdone this I'm a huge Electronica music fan and they need to fucking stop doing these Electronica <laughs> music scores cause good time is but it just it's I, done to death uh, you know what it's you, not a good time you know what was an excellent score uh, John Williams uh, Star Wars score but unfortunately he wrote it <laughs> 45 it? years ago oh right it's the same thing uh, yeah has he written anything in 45 uh, years? No. Uh, oh. Anyhow, little, let's wrap this mother- Star Wars 2? Schindler's List? No, oh, catch me, catch, All these catch me if you can. I, I revise that. Let's the zingers. It's time to end the zingers. Uh, <laughs> where, where can we reach you, Sean? <laughs> oh God! It, just don't reach me if you if you haven't heard by now. That's how don't. we like to add things. Nobody, nobody has no. Nobody needs no. My God! <laughs> you uh, can reach out to no. me and I'll relay your message to Sean. Jack, you're on Twitter. Where are they going to find you? I I can be found at Real Jack Eason. And if you have any disagreements with my my sentiments in this podcast, just be assured you're wrong. <laughs> uh, Eric, on Twitter, where I am on I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Eric Bailey. All right, excellent, excellent. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, wow. that's Why is my name funny. stolen online by a fucking Christian singer? Uh, this is all. It's the life. All you were the meant Jack Eason's are fucking. He's a Christian singer. I get an email for him for like singing Christian <laughs> songs at fucking high schools <laughs> in the <laughs> south. Fucking book some gigs and stop bitching. Uh, <laughs> Jake, where are they gonna find you? I'm at Jake Tropila. T R O P I L A. You can tweet at me there. Uh, you can't tell me how much you love three billboards. Well, yeah, please, any billboards <laughs> fans, go directly there. Uh, you're not going to find me <laughs> online. I try to keep to myself. Um, please, if you would, go to uh, our iTunes and look at Opvatcast uh, and rate us five stars. You know, increase our visibility because all this content, uh, boy, it's so great. We need, we need, we need to get it out to more people. What's going on here tonight? Uh, Anyhow, this has been fun. Uh, we're going to have part two out to you soon enough where, where you can hear us uh, discuss 
civilly uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. But uh, for now, uh, <laughs> have a good evening. <laughs>